Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live. Welcome to the program here. You can join the show if you want to. Or you can just sit back and listen. It is completely up to you. Joining you tonight, it's Ian and Chris. Uh, we've got some news, international level news, about a cryptocurrency crackdown that's apparently happening in India. We're talking about billions of uh, dollars worth of cryptocurrency are being moved out of the country, apparently, uh, as the, the people of India try to avoid this particular crackdown. You're going to tell us about that coming up here tonight, Chris. Uh, in uh, related news, the Federal Reserve and the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency and the FDIC have issued a joint statement this week uh, talking about or warning about quote-unquote significant risks that crypto assets may pose to the broader banking system. I'm not sure exactly how it is that crypto is going to be a threat to the banking system beyond the fact that it's just a better alternative and it could outcompete uh, the banking system. But I don't know if that's what they're going to get into here. Uh, according to the agencies in a joint statement, quote, it is important that risks related to the crypto asset sector that cannot be mitigated or controlled do not migrate to the banking system, statement said. Further, quote, given the significant risks highlighted by recent failures of several large crypto asset companies, the agencies continue to take a careful and cautious approach related to current or proposed crypto asset related activities and exposures at each banking regulation or banking organization, unquote. Regulators are warning banks about a long laundry list of risks when it comes to crypto, including fraud, volatility, poor risk management, and contagion within the crypto sector. The agencies also flagged legal uncertainties when it comes to redemptions, ownership rights, and custody practices for crypto assets. Tuesday's statement came just minutes before Sam Bankman-Fried, co-founder and former CEO of FTX Exchange, pleaded not guilty on eight counts of wire fraud, securities fraud, and conspiracy. He's facing up to 115 years in prison for his alleged role in the highest-profile crypto collapse to date. Uh, while regulators are still studying whether or how banks could incorporate crypto into their operations in a safe way that protects consumers, the trifecta of regulators say issuing or holding crypto that's issued, stored, or transferred on an open, public, or decentralized network is, quote, inconsistent, unquote, with safe and sound banking practices. So they're not coming right out and saying, thou shalt not do this, What's or that it's illegal for banks to get into cryptocurrency, but they're basically coming, you know, they're, they're skirting the line of yeah. saying, if you do this, this could be trouble. We won't look kindly on you banks who might be open-minded enough to actually consider allowing your customers to invest in cryptocurrency. I, I, I'm still failing to understand what they're suggesting is the safety aspect of it, right? Well, Just, there's risk involved. What, what's the risk? Oh, price could go down. This dollar goes down every day. I well, mean, yes, of course, but it's <laughs> planned to go down. We, You can expect the dollar to go down, so you know what you're getting into. Hmm. Of course, there's also the risk of stocks as well, which could certainly right. go down in value. But somehow, government safe 
Well, yeah. I, I mean, it's just the whole thing is just absolutely absurd on its face. I mean, how many people have lost their ass investing in stocks and then having the stock market crash or whatever, or those stocks in particular just happen to go down and they lose their entire investment. And, we're, and the government's just going to pat itself on the back and say, well, it's okay. It's regulated. I, I wonder if there's any warnings anywhere about uh, – Converting to any other government currency, any other dirty fiat, because uh, you mean you, other world government international. Right, because and I say that because if you look at well, a lot of countries, there's hyperinflation. Um, Venezuela, like Venezuela, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to think of some of the others, but yeah, I mean, there's there's a bunch of them. And certainly, Turkey, if you look I over, think, might be feeling uh, some inflation. I don't know if they hit hyperinflation, but they're certainly, yeah, it's mm-hmm. certainly. Um, so hyperinflation is like fifty percent yeah, over a year. Yeah. Um. So if it's, I don't know if. I don't know. I think they they may have, but um, there was yes. another two. There was another one we talked about recently, and I also don't. Recall you can have high inflation, one. and the U.S. currently has high inflation, um, but it's not hyperinflation, right? Mm-hmm. So, at least if you believe the government's numbers, we did show right. that it was uh, produce that had gone up thirty percent in just one month. Like it was November, U.S. produce prices shot up thirty percent, thirty percent in a month. I believe it. So I mean. You extrapolate that out. I mean, I'm not saying it's thirty percent every month or whatever, but over a no. year, it, it over a year it may be true that produce prices are in hyperinflation mode. Yeah, you know. So it just depends on how you look at the numbers. But uh, based on the agency's current, uh, this is from, more from their statement. Based on the agency's current understanding and experience to date, I already read that one. So they're saying that it's it's highly. Uh, they're saying that having cryptocurrency stored with banks is uh, potentially not, quote-unquote, safe. Further, the agencies have significant safety and soundness concerns with business models that are concentrated in crypto asset-related activities or have concentrated exposures to the crypto asset sector. The agencies are overseeing banks that may be exposed to risks from the crypto sector and reviewing any proposals from banks to engage in crypto activities. So apparently they have to, these banks... I mean, these banks are just so... Uh, cautious, right? Like in general, banks have been very afraid of cryptocurrency from the beginning, and it's it may not be so much as that they're afraid of what cryptocurrency could mean for their own existence in the future. Some of these banks, and I'm basing this on an actual conversation I had with a bank president a few several years ago. I think at this point, uh, there was a local bank in this area that's sort of a regional area bank. And they were going to close one of my uh, accounts. And normally when a bank sends you a breakup letter, it's this very kind of terse corporate thing where, you know, there's not even, you don't even know who signed the letter. And it just basically says our terms of service say we can break up with you anytime we want to. And we don't have to tell you why. So bye-bye. That's usually how it goes when a corporate bank breaks up you with you. But this local bank, the letter was actually signed by the bank president. And it had his office phone number at the bottom and an invitation to reach out if I had any questions. So, yeah, I got questions. Uh, and I reached out and dude scheduled a, a meeting with me and Chris Reitman. And we sat down with him for, for an hour, more than an hour, and just kind of talked to him about, you know, where you know where he's at in banking and where he's coming from and just kind of why the account was being shut down. And just all the questions that we had about, you know, bank, being a banker and this world of cryptocurrency. And what he said was basically that, you know, they are deathly afraid of the federal government. They're deathly afraid of uh, the banking regulators. And 
so they have to be really, really cautious. Right? They just can't jump into some new thing without really doing a lot of research. And, and he felt as though that he didn't know enough about cryptocurrency. And apparently he is the like the bank president apparently has to because it's the size of the institution. He has to sign off on all outgoing wire transfers. And he realized he could not knowingly sign off on these wire transfers because he just didn't feel comfortable enough with where they were going. Ultimately, he didn't know enough about cryptocurrency. At least this is what he told me. And so that was the end of it. Like he's sorry, we're just not comfortable enough with your account. So we're just going to close it off because we're afraid of what the regulators might do. Yeah, I mean, they're they're holding a, a license. You have to have some sort of license in order oh, yeah. to you know operate a bank, state and, and federal and, as well. In yeah, a lot it, of cases. It, it's uh, it's uh, if you don't do what the what the uh, you know the government is is or wanting you to do, and they won't even tell you what to do. They're just gonna they'll send you threatening letters, but they won't tell you what to do, and then you have to comply. And it's like, well, okay, well, what do you what are you supposed to do? Well, effectively, the only thing you can do in many cases is shut down people's accounts. So you rather know, than try to figure out the way through the regulatory structure, that as you say, they won't even give you instructions on. Right, right, and and, and there's some there's some good examples of this um, that have you know letters that the government has sent. To banks or financial all financial institutions, and one of these letters um, went out. I don't know, probably within the last five years, even, um, and it was in relation to people who have worked in the legal um, sex industry. Oh yeah, and uh, you know, despite the fact not that, illegal, right. it's completely legal. These people are like making pornography, for instance, or something like that. Yeah, right? yeah, um, and you know, in states where it's legal or or whatever, yeah. right? And um, it doesn't, you know, the and it's not illegal at the federal level or anything, but because because right. you know, there's you know the banks or, or the, the and and the government's letter doesn't say in the legal industry, but how do you? how do you tell or distinguish between somebody who is doing something legally and not? Mm-hmm. And so basically what it basically did was because there's so much risk there, they just, they're forced to shut down anybody, even if they're not in the sex industry currently, even people who have been out of the sex industry for 20 years, their accounts still got closed at every single financial institution because yeah. the, none of the financial institutions could do anything other than shut down because, you know, it's just, it's, and they use words. They don't say words like, in the sex industry, they'll say things like sex trafficking, but then they don't define sex trafficking. Right. And so, and it's become this all encompassing word. So it's, it ends up including legal activities that have, you know, no, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. On the point about sex trafficking, I was reading, um, there's somebody on Twitter who represents herself as a victim of sex trafficking and she's like speaking out and, you know, that kind of thing. And, on its face, it sounds fine, but then I saw this other post. I don't remember if it was from her. I think it might have been, and it essentially was like widening the definition of sex trafficking, yeah. like you were talking about. Because mm-hmm. when you think about sex trafficking, or at least when I think about it, I think someone is a sex slave. Someone is being held against their will. They're, for instance, having their family threatened because that's in a lot of cases when somebody, uh, you know, is either kidnapped to be forced into sex slavery. They're told things like, well, look, if you try to run, we're just going to go ahead and kill your parents. Right. Like that's the kind of thing. Right. That's why they stay in the hotel room or whatever instead of just trying to make a make a run for it. Yeah, that's not what they mean by sex trafficking these days. Not these days. (laughs) No, they basically were saying that anyone who's like manipulated in some way 
Like if uh, somebody hires you to do a thing and they didn't quite tell you everything that and manipulation includes being paid. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. <laughs> so anybody who's ever worked in the sex industry is uh, has been trafficked. Basically, is what they would say. It's, These it's, people it's, would say that it's yeah. that crazy, yeah. um, and it's it's obviously you know, <laughs> and so the banks don't want to be associated with quote unquote sex trafficking, even if it's they can't legal. afford to be if yeah. the government's telling them you know we're going to yeah. take you know take your license away and then they can't operate and yeah it's, right and so now you have this letter from the FDIC from the Office of Comptroller of the Currency and the Federal Reserve. These are the three top banking regulatory agencies. That is almost essentially telling banks that, hey, we don't think you should do this. We don't think those of you, you few banks, and there's only a few of them, who are open-minded enough to actually accept accounts from cryptocurrency-related businesses to potentially even allow their own customers to hold or to purchase cryptocurrencies through their banking system – they are being told that uh, 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 uh. What, what I'm curious about is who do you think this is targeting? Because I can't imagine. I mean, banks are already so hand, like they won't do business with you if you use cryptocurrency. Like, so who are these? Uh, there are a few that are friendly. Are they targeting? Because it doesn't it seems to me like they're targeting cryptocurrency exchanges and similar. Uh, well, I think what similar, they want to do is dry up the options for the crypto exchanges. Now, there's a right. bank called uh, there's a bank called Silvergate Bank. It's based out of California. They are kind of known as the crypto exchange bank, meaning that this is, an, a, this is a bank that will actually open accounts for cryptocurrency exchanges, and they make you do all kinds of hoop jumping, of course, right? Because they're not just going to allow anybody to open an account. They're going to do their due diligence and verify you got all the government paperwork and et cetera. They were involved with the FTX exchange and... Ooh. I don't know. I've I've seen some of the headlines. I've not dug deeply into the stories. It looks like it did not go well for them in that particular <laughs> case. So that could be part of the uh, the uh, why this these regulatory agencies are kind of c- coming in heavier than ever on this. Uh, I don't think they've gone out of business or anything like that, but they may have lost some uh, some money on that deal because they had some sort of involvement with, with FTX. But they're not the only ones. There are some other banks out there. Uh, there was one in Vegas that was actually purchased. It was just kind of like a local bank. It only had two branches. It was in Vegas, and it was purchased. I'm sorry, I don't remember the name of it, but it was purchased by a cryptocurrency sort of uh magnet or whatever some some guy that's been very successful with with crypto i don't know if he's involved in exchanges or whatever but he wanted to have a bank that would have been friendly towards uh potentially cryptocurrency accounts so there's probably no more than like five of them but there are some i mean there's also the ones that will do business with like um uphold which is a a cryptocurrency kind of exchange thing that has a uh, crypto debit card as well and so whenever you get one of these crypto debit cards, you look on the back and it will say account provided by blankety blank bank, right? So there's one that's um, Metropolitan Commercial Bank. I've seen that one. They're based in New York City. Sutton Bank is another one. So there's a few banks that, you know, when you open an account with, with Uphold, you're opening an account with a financial tech firm, not mm. a bank. But they sort of on your behalf have an account 
from which that uh, debit card operates. Do, do they have other? Does Uphold have like an exchange, like, or or is it just strictly? It's not an exchange in the sort of traditional sense, but I okay. believe you can. It has been a while since I could use Upholdly, right. uh, you know, with my bail conditions. <laughs> well, back in those days. <laughs> um, but if I recall correctly, there was a way to exchange between cryptocurrencies or purchase cryptocurrencies with uh, dollar deposits from a bank account there but it's not like the traditional kind of exchange where you Mm -hmm. can put in a you know a limit purchase on a on an exchange and then it just sits and waits for somebody to buy it so it wasn't it's not that sort of exchange Mm. yeah i'm just wondering like what what uh you know what enabled them to do what they did versus you know maybe some other crypto exchange or you know because you think you'd almost think that you think you think almost that you would do an ex- if you're going to jump through all those hoops, right? You would do an exchange, or you would do more than just that. But mm-hmm. something's limited. I mean, if if it's if they're limiting themselves, it sounds like they may not. They they may have just a different business model, right? So uh, these these crypto fueled debit cards, of which there are a, a, a large variety in the marketplace these days. For listeners that aren't familiar. Uh, the idea is that you get a traditional-looking Visa slash MasterCard debit card, and in the background of that debit card, there's a way to kind of load it with a balance based on cryptocurrency. Not that the card itself has Bitcoin attached to it per se. Most of them don't. Most of them, you can like load Bitcoin into your account, and then you can authorize it to say, all right, I want to take $300 worth of this Bitcoin and put the $300 in cash onto this card. And so that's what most of them do. Um, to that extent, that could result in those companies getting a, a portion of the fees, right? So whenever you check mm-hmm. out at a, a merchant, they might be paying 3% to the credit card company. Right. There may be a deal there, and I, I'm just speculating, right, that Uphold, maybe they get 1% of the 3%, and then Visa gets 2% that's a possibility right absolutely so i mean that's they may be looking at that as well we'd rather make our money on that than have to deal with the hassle of running a a bitcoin exchange or something like that yeah i I mean there definitely are certain aspects of the law that say things like for profit so you kind of have to wonder did they sell the bitcoin or i guess they bought did they buy the bitcoin from people but they didn't they didn't make a profit off that, but then they made the profit off the fees off from the, the swiping. Fees, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and maybe that got mm-hmm. around some of the some of the the, the, the jump, hoop jumping in order to reduce their costs. And maybe that would, if that's true, maybe that would allow some of the banks to feel more comfortable doing business maybe, with those companies. Yeah. I don't know. It's um, interesting questions. Yeah. So, uh, you know, right now you got the OCC, according to the story here at uh, Yahoo Finance... The OCC, the Office of Comptroller of the Currency, this is a a top banking regulator, they put in place rules where banks must now ask permission to be able to engage in any cryptocurrency activities. The acting comptroller of the currency, Michael Sue, has compared crypto to derivatives in the early 2000s, warning about the risk of contagion with crypto and saying the industry's growth has been driven by hype. Now maybe that's true to some extent there has been a lot of hype in the last several years around cryptocurrency there's been a lot of growth simply surrounding the idea of number go up hey yeah. investment best investment of the last decade don't miss out uh, you know that kind of thing right so people are definitely there were a lot of people jumping in for fomo which is the fear of missing out 
Uh, so there's no doubt that that did drive a lot of crypto sales. That's probably what was behind the big crypto spike in 2017 and the big crypto spike yeah. in, in 2021. Dot-com bubble all over again. Yeah, but the reality is those of us that know a thing or two about cryptocurrency know that underneath that hype, there really is technology worthy of being excited about. Oh, absolutely. Now, whether that's what people were being excited about as opposed to number go up, that's up to the individual, you know, as to why they want to invest or purchase I, something. Yeah, I, I, I was, was always amazed, you know, people like buy into it just so for the sake of holding it, I, I've always been like, if I'm going to invest in something, like I want to invest in something surrounding it, right? Mm-hmm. Like maybe getting it out there. You a know? concept. Uh, yeah. Something that's a, important. Vending machines, mm-hmm. right? Or, you know, uh, merchant tools to enable businesses to accept it or, you know, something something that like, because just holding it doesn't get it used. And what's the value? The, the value is in its ability to reduce the cost. At, at least one of the things that I think that has value in it is the ability to reduce the cost of conducting transactions yes um as you were saying earlier you know every time you swipe time. A, a card it's yeah. you're paying three percent you know mm-hmm. your your prices are going up by three percent or more um it, you know i i see occasionally uh six percent actually um for for those those charges discover um, can be that high it, for it sure it can be it depends on the type of card somebody mm-hmm. has it depends on if it's a u.s card or an international or a card outside the united states um there's a bunch of different factors that go into it and yep. then and then double that because you know you got to buy you out you as a merchant have to buy products too and from what your if they're using your card to do that in many cases yeah you have no other choice than other than to use a credit card right. so you're yeah i mean it's it's amazing how much the banks and financial institutions you know basically uh uh cause prices to go up like like fairly substantially yeah in some cases no wonder they are you know so desperate to stop cryptocurrency oh yeah, yeah. but you know credit to the handful of banks out there that are open-minded enough and forward-thinking enough to say, hmm, this doesn't look good for us in the, in the future. <laughs> Maybe we should embrace this new competition rather than trying to shut them out, rather than trying to pretend they don't exist or act like you know it's dangerous. And of course, that's what this whole point of this article is here, is to have these government agencies saying, ooh, it's, it's scary. Cryptocurrency is dangerous. It's risky. And so... Uh, and and the fact is they can't control it. That's what they ultimately are admitting here is that we cannot regulate this. We cannot control it. And so therefore, since we cannot control it or regulate it, you, those entities that we do regulate, shall not touch it without our permission, which we're no longer going to give you. Uh, the number here is 603-283-6160. It hasn't gotten to the point where you cannot send a wire transfer to a crypto exchange, but what would stop them from doing that in the future? It's Free Talk Live. Inflation is a real problem. The Federal Reserve's endless printing is eating away your savings. Savvy investors are diversifying into the most stable assets in recorded history, gold and silver. Get yours from bullionmax.com FTL without dealing with a salesperson. Your precious metal ship fully insured directly to your home. It's fast. It's easy. Free Talk Live listeners can get a special deal. Employee pricing on Bullion Max's Silver Starter Kit. Just go to bullionmax.com slash FTL. The kit includes five ounces of silver from the world's most popular mints. Plus, you'll get a free gold back. Just go to bullionmax.com slash FTL. It's the perfect time to invest in precious metals, so don't miss this limited-time special offer. Start your new investment with bullionmax.com slash FTL today. Bullionmax.com slash FTL. 
is Free Talk Live. Phones are open. If you want to join us here, the number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Maybe you're aware of some of these, the few crypto-friendly banks that are out there right now. Because apparently the uh, Office of Comptroller of the Currency and Federal Reserve and the FDIC are issuing a notice to all banking institutions saying... Hey, look, we're not saying you can't do this, but we're basically saying you can't do this. Trying to ban it without actually an explicit ban, it sounds like. Yeah, they're trying to, they're they're basically putting pressure on the bank saying, look, this is risky. This is dangerous. We wouldn't want you, our trusted banking institutions, to be involved in anything that could bring your customers risk. So, therefore, We think you should stay away from these things. In fact, we're going to require you to ask for our permission before you get involved in any kind of crypto-related activities. Now, I don't know what that's going to mean for the banks that are already involved in crypto-related activities, the handful of them that are doing that sort of thing. Uh, But if you want to comment, maybe you're in the banking industry, maybe you're in the crypto world, uh, you want to join us here, the number is 603-283-6160. It seems like... Lines are being drawn, sort of lines in the sand uh, by the federal government saying, we would advise you not cross that line. Is this you know? uh, is this an actual letter that was sent to the banks or how, how did they? Uh, Apparently, let me see if I can how did this, get like, the exact definition of what this thing was here. The report is from Yahoo Finance. And it is a statement. So they issued a joint statement. statement. So maybe like a letter to the banks or something like that. Uh, It is apparently a two, three page long joint statement on crypto asset risks to banking organizations. So I don't know if that gets sent to all of the banks by default or it's it's just they're expected to know about it. It's definitely not as clear as some of the things that have been reported on in the past as to certain industries that, you know, the government has said you better not do business with these people. I actually did just pull up the actual letter here, and you know we were just reading the report on mm-hmm. it, but I just happened to spot this. It says, Banking organizations are neither prohibited nor discouraged from providing banking services to customers of any specific class or type as permitted by law or regulation. The agencies are continuing to assess whether or how current and proposed Crypto asset related activities by banking organizations can be conducted in a manner that adequately addresses safety and soundness, consumer protection, legal permissibility, and compliance with applicable laws and regulations, including anti money laundering and illicit finance statutes and rules. Based on the agency's current understanding and experience to date, the agencies believe that issuing or holding as principal crypto assets that are issued, stored, or transferred on an open public or decentralized network or similar system is highly likely to be inconsistent with safe and sound banking practices. So in the same paragraph, they're saying, look, we're not telling you you can't do this. I mean, if it's legal, then you can do it, but it may be considered you know what to be inconsistent with safe and sound banking practices. You know what it sounds like they're, they're saying is, effectively... This may be legal, but we'll suspend your licenses if you go down this path because it viol it it it. They didn't outright say it mm-hmm. violates 
like their licensure, but they're coming right up to the line. Right. They're coming right up yeah. to that line and saying it without saying it. And this is exactly the same thing that they've done in the past, you know, with other industries that the government, they're completely legal industries, but the government doesn't want banks or financial institutions to do business with you. And therefore right. they say they did the exact same thing. Uh, further, the agencies have significant safety and soundness concerns with business models that are concentrated in crypto asset related activities or have concentrated exposures. So there's, to the crypto asset sector. So they're just saying they're concerned. They're they're worried for their banking friends that they may get into hot water with these regulators. Now, they're not saying they're turning the temperature up quite yet, but the water could be getting hot for you if you decide to get involved with these crypto-related activities. We would just like to let you know that we're monitoring the situation closely. And it's like, you know, these banker these bankers aren't known for taking risks with their business, right? They're not going to risk regulatory uh, attack. They're not going to risk pissing off the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency or the Federal Reserve or the FDIC because if they piss those people off, they're out of business. Like you said, they'll pull the license and you don't have a bank anymore after that. If you try to operate... I remember years ago, we had somebody call in. Actually, it was a friend of the... It was a host on the show who knew someone in California who had opened a warehouse bank and he shouldn't have used the word bank, number one. But number two, they probably would have shut, his, shut him down anyway. But what the dude was doing was he was offering essentially deposit services for people while not being an actual registered legal oh, yeah. bank. And guess what happened to him? They'll definitely uh, fry you for that. Yeah, they came in with a, you know armed thugs and they put a stop to his warehouse bank yeah people have been doing that since the 90s um at least maybe probably even earlier than that but um i remember hearing about people getting you know charged and you know thrown through the system for for basically doing similar kinds of stuff that's probably when this happened oh based okay. On when, okay based on when we were talking about it, it was like it, more than a decade ago that we it's talked definitely about it. happened repeatedly over yeah. you know decades but um yeah. let me just look at what they're doing to you know prior to cryptocurrency there was uh, another great alternative. Of course, we're big fans of gold and silver here on Free Talk Live, and uh, we've been telling you about Bullion Max, for instance. BullionMax.com slash FTL is, of course, where you can go to get some of the most stable assets in recorded history, which are gold and silver. Uh, BullionMax.com slash FTL is where you can get their uh, special silver starter kit, employee pricing for Free Talk Live listeners there. It's five ounces of silver from the world's most popular mints, and they'll throw in the free a free gold back for you as well. So go to BullionMax.com slash FTL. But before, you know, you've been able to order things like gold and silver products from Bullion Max and companies like it for, for decades but what they were doing with the Liberty dollar back in the aughts, so the last you know two decades ago at this point, uh, was they were creating an alternative currency. They weren't just selling silver rounds. They were selling these beautiful um, pieces. You can't call them coins because that's like a legal term. But they were selling ounces of silver that were intended to be used as a currency. They weren't just intended to sit in a safe until the S hits the fan and then maybe you'll need them someday kind of thing. The intention was to exchange them with people for products and services. That was the idea behind the Liberty Dollar. And for years, they were the number one alternative currency. This is, again, prior to crypto. So from basically, I think, 1998 on through about 2007... They issued millions of dollars worth of the the Liberty Dollar. I was involved with them back 
20 years ago as one of their uh, what they call Liberty Associates, where I would get sort of a wholesale rate and then try to get them out in, into the community. Wasn't particularly successful at it, but <laughs> they were really beautiful uh, pieces and just uh, the people that understood and appreciated silver were big fans of them. And the federal government was not a big fan because they came in, uh, they went to the uh, they went to the vault, they went to the uh, the mint where the Liberty Dollar was produced. I believe it was called Sunshine Mint in Coeur Idaho. And they came there with however many goons that they had. Uh, they came in. They were allowed in to the you know the Sunshine Mint. There's mm-hmm. armed guards at the front, of course, but they're not going to stop the government uh, from coming in. And they took all of the Liberty Dollar silver that was in that vault. So in addition to making actual physical rounds that they were distributing, they also made warehouse receipts. So they had these certificates, basically, that were good, supposedly were good for one ounce of silver that was being stored in the uh, the warehouse. Well, until the feds took it all. <laughs> and years later, they ended up having to give it back uh, after a court case. There was like a lawsuit or something like that. But not everybody got it back. I didn't get mine back just because I didn't want to join the lawsuit. I was just like, you know what? I don't want to put my name on a list or whatever, even though my name was probably <laughs> already on a list. Uh, but so, that's, yeah. That's funny coming from you. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get I didn't get mine back. But they did have to give them back ultimately, but they destroyed the Liberty Dollar business. They destroyed it as an organization. They went after Bernard von Nothaus, who was its founder, for quote-unquote counterfeiting charges, and a jury found him guilty. Yeah, of those our, our system is so messed up. I mean, it's like it doesn't matter if you're 100% right, you're within the law. Yeah. They just get a jury that's so biased against, you know, right. a defendant and that's it, you know. Um you at best, at best, even when you're 100% obviously innocent, you have a 50/50 chance. And that's yeah. the best case scenario. You should be 100%, should be 100% no chance that, you know, if you're innocent, there should never be a conviction, but nope, right. that's not how it is. Look in at the, the Crypto world. Six case; it yeah. happened all all over again. I mean, we did legal research to make sure, and so did Bernard von Nothaus from yep. the Liberty Dollar. He figured he had all his T's crossed and all his eyes dotted, and he'd been in business for almost a decade yeah. at that point, doing this thing of distributing this alternative currency. And they came in and they destroyed him. And then there was, of course, uh, e gold. If you recall that one, that was. Uh, an online gold currency kind of thing that this is again pre-crypto so it was this sort it was still a centralized system it wasn't you know like bitcoin where it was decentralized or anything so they went after the e-gold corporation and they they took it down too it's it, yeah the crypto six case is so crazy because it's like you know okay there's government officials telling you what you're doing is legal you've got uh you know, you've got lawyers telling you what you're doing is legal, right? Yeah. You're operating, you're doing more KYC than the banks are doing that you're not even yeah. really required to do. It's like, I mean, oh, <laughs> yeah. It's, but the it's, banks aren't getting charged. They're not going nope. to prison. They're not going to nope, be. Not uh, a single one of those, no. uh, you know, so-called victims in that case. They're uh, not going to pay a single fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, the banks lost nothing. And uh, the prosecution has said that. And uh, the victims, uh, you know, the banks didn't stop. You know, the, the banks are actually supposed to do KYC, but obviously they they either didn't or it didn't stop the transactions from occurring anyway. Yeah. Um, the only person I think that those victims, those so-called victims, uh, you know, said ever even reached out to them was you. That's my recollection of what happened during the trial. Yep. Yeah. If you want to read more about the Crypto 6 uh, case, you can go to freekeen.com, where Chris spent three weeks of his life sitting in a courtroom writing excessive notes 
and then transcribing them onto uh, various detailed blog posts. And I've heard many people say they really appreciated that, Chris. So if they haven't told you personally, uh, then oh, yeah. I've definitely heard about it. Left and right, I've heard people yeah. saying it. So yeah. I'm, and I'm glad because it means that people were, were, I don't know how many people read it, but there were definitely people who read the whole thing. And I was, yeah. I'm actually surprised. If you it's had, exhausting. Yeah. If you read that whole, uh, you know, even just a single day worth, you know, it's a of, lot. It, it's a lot. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, if you want to comment here, you're welcome to join us. The number is 603-283-6160. But as I was saying, it sounds like the feds are kind of drawing a line in the sand. They're basically telling the banks, hey, look, we're not saying you can't do this. But basically, if you do it, we're going to jump down your throat and you're going to hate life. So don't do this, okay? It's legal for you to do it, but don't <laughs> do it. And that's where it seems to be coming from. And, of course, they're using the FTX uh, situation as their excuse for coming in and issuing these most recent notices. Oh, it's like, oh, okay, someone in, someone in business failed. Wow, this, this doesn't happen. Businesses don't fail. This, somebody in business failed, so therefore this entire business is now uh, you know, on the outs. We cannot trust you guys to have banking, uh, you know, provide banking services to businesses that could fail. Mm. Oh, wait, that happens all the time, doesn't it? Yep. Businesses fail. That's what happens. Look at the dot com bust. Right. <laughs> I mean, people invested in businesses that had literally no uh, no business models. They had no value. There wasn't any perceivable value in many cases. How many of those got bank uh, bank loans, I wonder? I, I mean, they certainly got investors, lots of investors. Mm-hmm. I mean, all those investors lost, you know, lost the shirt. Now, it doesn't mean that the, you know, and the, the crazy thing is like, it's not even like all the businesses in the dot com era were bad or couldn't necessarily work. Mm-hmm. A lot of them could, but they kind of they went. A lot of them went under still, but um, some of them were just ahead of their time, or right. you know they needed you know larger numbers, and there weren't wasn't enough people on the internet yet, or you maybe know, poor management. Who knows? Right, right? poor management. Um, you know, or overspending. You know, because they were competing with other businesses mm-hmm. that were had all this free money, so to speak, and so they were paying too much. You know, per per uh, customer. I'm trying to think what acquisition call it. acquisition. Yeah, mm-hmm. customer acquisition um, numbers were were you know they were just paying too much per customer right. basically. So. Uh, here's more about the FTX situation. So this is a related story from The Hill. The digital dollar coming in on the back of the FTX collapse. The arrest of Sam Bankman-Fried may be the smaller news story coming out of the collapse of FTX. Politicians will miss the point surrounding the massive political donations of the company and instead push for simplistic solutions to a complex issue. Ultimately, the collapse of the crypto company could lead to onerous federal regulations and the establishment of a federal digital dollar. Now, look, I don't think that, you know, if they're using FTX as the excuse for the digital dollar, it doesn't really connect for me. It doesn't really make any sense. Why would they need to have a failed crypto exchange to launch a digital dollar on? I mean, they they're, they already have the, all the rationale that they need for the digital dollar. For them, it's more control, total control of people's finances, total awareness of what people will be spending money on, and that's all the reason I, they need right there. I get why somebody would adopt a cryptocurrency, like an actual cryptocurrency. I don't mean a stable coin, but an actual cryptocurrency, decentralized, you know, you control it, etc. I don't understand why somebody would want, like, what, like what's the incentive for somebody to go and adopt, a, the say, a U.S. digital dollar? Like, somebody, are you talking about... When you say somebody, do you mean an individual or a business? Uh, I or? mean like an individual, right? Like why would somebody go out of Welfare the way payments. F- for payments? Welfare payments. Welfare payments. Okay. I'm just trying to think like how are they going to sell this to the public? Because it, it isn't 
it doesn't seem and I, I feel like we even have a story where somebody rolled out a digital the first digital uh I think Nigeria has one. Yeah, but I think it it totally failed. Um, And it's being, uh, it is not being accepted well by the people of Nigeria. Yeah, and it just kind of makes, you know, begs the question of like, okay, you've got all of this backing, you got government backing and Mm -hmm. everything, and they can't make it work. And 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 then you ask the question of, well, why? And it's it's because it doesn't have any of the things that makes you know a crypt an actual cryptocurrency valuable, right? It doesn't have. You don't have the control. You don't have the freedom. You don't have the the liberty. which is exactly why they want it. That's exactly why they want to put it, shove it down right. people's throats. Right. And so. that, that's, in my opinion, that's how they're going to do it, Chris, is they're going to force people to accept it if they want to get government payments. Hmm. And if you think about the, the number of people who are receiving government payments, it's significant, right? Like, I mean, we've seen some of the estimates over the years that maybe as many as 50% of U.S. households have someone in them who is receiving some form of government payment and that could include contractors right that could include individuals on welfare so there's a whole range of types of people that are getting government money everybody on social security anybody getting medicaid or medicare i'm always wondering like how much how many of those people are actually getting money free you know free money so to speak and how many of them are just getting their money back um, because they take so much from us just well, uh, sure. just across the board. Like, you know, even people who are poor, they're still paying taxes. They're paying hidden taxes. Unless it's Sarah. Paying- you know, she doesn't, <laughs> she's probably getting more than she pays in. Right. You might be right. Yeah. Uh, but it's uh, such a large percentage of I think I think the way to phrase it is I think they call them uh, working poor. Right. So people who, yeah. who are actually, you know, doing something, they're, pro- they're productive people. Right. But, right. You know, uh, they're paying tax. They're paying all these hidden taxes. And yes, they're getting money from the government, so to speak. But that money is probably coming from their own pocket. It's coming from their employers. Chance of it. um, it's coming from, you know, you know, the increased prices that they're paying at the store. Right. Big time. What are the employers paying in Social Security? Like 15% or something like that? I think 14, 15, yeah, somewhere in that range, 13 it, it, and a half. I think it's like 15% and then and then another 15% comes out of your paycheck. So you're paying, it ends up being like something like 30%. But that's, Oh, I thought it was 15, half, one, uh, I thought it was seven and a half and seven and a half. I, I, anyway. I, okay, so self-employment is 30%. Um, which, I was talking about employees. Right, but yeah. self-employment covers everything that your employer and you would be paying in. I so see. Oh, okay. It's, as well, I then there's the FICA or whatever. There's all these right. other things, right? And, and that's not, 30% doesn't sound like, might not sound like a lot, but what I think people are forgetting is that there's all these other taxes that they're paying that they don't the know about. Taxes. And yeah. yeah, like for example, 25, if you buy an, if you buy any kind of electronics in the United States right now, 25% of uh, the price is basic, well, or maybe even twice that, um, is tariffs, tariffs or yeah. tariffs. And so the the company importing it is paying the government, and then they're increasing their right. prices. So so you're still paying. You're paying these taxes you don't even know about. And that's on top of the sales taxes in most states. Sure. And um, then every gas tax, you know, you're paying all the... Right. When you pay for that piece of electronics, not only are you paying for the import fee or whatever, the tariff, but you're also paying the tax that the trucker... Who uh, the professional driver right. that took that sure. to the Best Buy or whatever also had to pay. I mean, every and you know the, you can't even calculate what I mean, those numbers I, are. I don't even think the gas tax is so much. You know, I mean, I understand the da- gas tax isn't actually going to the roads, but anyway, you're paying the tax on the electricity <laughs> that the store that you bought the TV from is displaying the TV to right. you. With the, the, there's um there's usually going to be some sort of property taxes that you're paying that too. Right, of the store because right. that increases the prices. You know, sure there's does. all these hidden taxes and it adds up and you end up paying. I you know I figured at one point it was probably something like seven, 
high 70s, 80% of your incomes going to government, basically. Yeah, um, it's insane. But it's, I think from what I've heard, other people have said it's actually way higher than that. We so. would be so much wealthier if we didn't have the federal government lording over our lives and extracting so much wealth. And now you're talking about, I'm sure the 70 or 80 or 90, or whatever it is, is all levels of government combined. Yeah, But I suspect sure. the feds are the largest chunk of that. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't They've know. They've got to be. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's that's an interesting question. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't ever done the math that way. Um, I usually just like kind of add up, you know, things like tariffs and, uh, you know, sales taxes and income taxes and property taxes and then figure it out. And property taxes wanna, are pretty pretty high, though, too. They so. are, but not always. Not everywhere. Right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, if you want to join us, join the discussion. The number here is 603-283-6160. But that was an aside from the discussion of... The CBDC, the central bank digital currency, and you were wondering aloud, well, how are they going to do this? If people don't want to stop using cash, how are they going to stop them, right? Like, oh, what? Uh, well, they could go the India route where they just ban all bills over like a dollar twenty-three or something like that. That's one idea. Now, well, I mean, we know they've already <laughs> banned the five hundred and the thousand-dollar bill. That's oh, yeah. been in, in play for decades, right? So, and that was to quote unquote fight drug dealing, right? Back when they did that. Yep. And, of course, it hasn't stopped drug selling at all, but it's just made it a little more inconvenient. Now the drug dealer has to carry a whole briefcase of cash instead of, you know, a fifth of a briefcase of cash. It's stupid. Uh, But they're going to do welfare payments. That's an easy way to get people hooked on the uh, the government CBDC money is, all right, well, starting on, you know, January 1st, 2025, all welfare payments are going to be through the CBDC. You're going to need to download the new Federal Reserve wallet, and you've got to, uh, you know you've got until January, and then we're going to cut you off. So go ahead and get signed up as soon as you yeah. can, and we'll get you your welfare payments there. I think you know the even more devious one. I suspect that they may try to play is something to that effect, uh, where that's the default, but with uh, tax refunds, right? That too. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, Any money coming out of the federal government. Once, once they do this, and they're still not 100% saying they're going to do it. They're just researching and mm. studying and coming up with actual, like, working programs from MIT and things like that. So, like, they're, they're down this rabbit hole, and the odds that they're going to stop going down it are very, very slim. But it still isn't, quote-unquote, a done deal yet. <laughs> but, yeah, once it's done, any kind of payments from the government, like I said, Medicare, welfare, Social Security, tax refund— oh. You name it. You know what they'll do after that is they'll charge you to receive a check in the mail or mm-hmm. they'll charge you for a traditional wire transfer to your account for your tax refund. That way they can't you can't say, well, you're not, you know, yeah. you well, OK, and, well, you're cutting me off. And they'll excuse that that charge because it costs them money. You know, in reality, it costs them probably just as much doing it the other way. Mm-hmm. But if you look at something like um, uh, toll roads, right? Right. It, you know, it used to be you paid the same and then then you got a discount if you had a well, what they call easy pass on the right. East Coast. Um uh, but now it's like, okay, well now it's, it, if you look like the, they not only, not only do you not get a, a discount, I put that in quotes here, but they also charge you additionally to mail, a mail a piece of paper to your, to the owners, the car vehicle owner's address. And then you're supposed to pay that on top of like additional fees. You mean if you get caught running the, the toll booth? You're talking about if, not if you run the toll booth. There is no toll booth. It's called cashless tolling. Right, right, right. But that's 
what you mean is when you go through the easy pass without the easy pass and they take your picture and then they right. send you the threatening letter yep. or whatever. Yeah. 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 So it's yeah, you think, uh, you know, and, and eventually eventually they make it so difficult to avoid and so expensive that pretty much everybody gives in outside of that. Maybe, you know, three percent of the population who just has a, a you know, they're just so. They're so against it, right? Because they they see right through the lies, right? And they have they have principles outside of those that three percent, mm-hmm. maybe you know, pretty much everybody else gets on board. So they're going to pay out, as you said, any kind of payment from the federal government is going to come out in the CBDC. But then the question is, how do you get businesses to accept it, right? Because it still has to be useful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't just give people the CBDC and then they can't spend it anywhere, right? So of course, Walmart. All the big, you know, mega corporations, they're going to come on board and they're going to make it so their cash registers can accept this stuff. And then the small businesses will be pressured because, well, you don't want to miss out. Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live. We are kicking off the second hour here. Phones are open. And you can join us and bring up whatever you want. The number is 603-283-6160. It's Ian and Chris in the studio tonight at 603-283-6160. Coming up, Chris, you're going to be telling us about a story from India where they're cracking down on cryptocurrency, probably in a way that the U.S. federal government would really like to. They already did. Now, yeah. It's more like everybody's fleeing India, <laughs> or at least their money the is. The money is. Talk about that coming up here, because you can't end cryptocurrency. You can't stop cryptocurrency, but you can make it difficult on the people who want to openly do business in crypto, and that's sort of where we started tonight. So we'll, we'll get to India, but where we started tonight was with this story out of the United States where the top banking regulators have issued a notice, essentially, saying to the banks, basically, look, we're not telling you it's illegal to do business with cryptocurrency exchanges or to allow your customers to buy cryptocurrency, but we are telling you that we're watching you. (laughs) And we want you to know that we might consider this to be dangerous. And we wouldn't want our banks to be considered doing dangerous things. Because then we might have to do something about it. We're not saying we're going to do something right now, but we are saying, look out. I mean, that's basically the su- the subject of what this letter was. And so they're, they're trying to intimidate the banks into no longer opening accounts for cryptocurrency exchanges or doing business with, uh, you know, anybody that wants to get crypto, that kind of thing. So it hasn't gone full on prohibition, but it is intimidation. That's what's happening right now in the U.S. And then the Hill.com has a story here about uh, the... The whole FTX debacle, for those that haven't been paying attention to the news, this thing has been in the headlines for uh, two months now, I think, at this point. It was the beginning of November when the FTX exchange went bankrupt, filed for bankruptcy. Uh, The head of the FTX exchange, Sam Bankman-Fried, a.k.a. Sam Bankman-Fraud, has been arrested since that time. He's been extradited from... Uh, the Bahamas. He's now facing uh, over 100 years in prison for various different charges. Wherein, if they are true, then Mr. Bankman actually did defraud people. 
though like he's accused of fraud in a way that the crypto six were not accused of fraud crypto six were facing yeah, fraud he's, charges he's accused of actual fraud as opposed right. to like alluding to fraud that didn't happen yeah exactly in, in the case of the crypto six and the fraud charges that didn't end up being brought against me in in trial they were saying well you didn't tell the banks the full truth about what you were doing and it's like Bankman even admitted in a an interview that he did prior to the fall of the FTX exchange in one of his myriad of you know media appearances, he admitted that it's standard practice within the cryptocurrency industry to not let the banks know what you're doing <laughs> because people in the crypto world, they understand that banks are afraid of cryptocurrency for whatever the reason is. Usually it's just because they're afraid of being regulated. Some of them may be afraid because they understand the writings on the wall and you know crypto could end the uh, the banking oligopoly altogether, which is, of course, exactly what the federal government wants to try to stop from happening. And so now they are going to, according to this opinion piece at FT or at uh, the hill dot com by Kristen Tate, she says that you know, they were already working on this CBDC, the central bank digital currency, but now they're going to use maybe the FTX situation as the excuse to push it through, is the speculation here. So they're saying that the FTX issue, or she says the FTX issue isn't large enough under normal circumstances to push through such dramatic banking and financial changes. But it's clear that those at the Federal Reserve and many in Congress have been salivating for those changes for years. This could be a fig leaf to justify it. The loss of billions of dollars through the collapse of FTX is beginning to echo through the economy. Both private investors and crypto holders lost big in the company's collapse. With nearly one million customers, the similarities to previous large-scale collapses are obvious. The criminal charges against Bankman perhaps offer someone on whom to pin responsibility, but not a means to fix the damage. By the way, you can't fix this damage. That money is, it's gone, right? Yeah, you know what's actually funny, though, about this is they add insult to injury because the government is effectively arguing something like it's, it's, it's FTX's. It's not okay. So this is actually a different case I'm thinking of. But in another very similar case, they're arguing it's it's the company's money, not your money. Celsius. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Celsius was prior to FTX the other sort of big crypto company failure of the year of 2022. Celsius was one of those. Let's call it a crypto loans outfit or a centralized finance crypto loan outfit, meaning that. They offered people a uh, APR, a certain you know five to ten percent, something that's way higher than you would get from a bank, for instance. So sounded too good to be true. Turns out it was too good to be true. <laughs> so Celsius offered this big APR on people that would deposit, say, Bitcoin or some other cryptocurrency into their system, and then they would loan that crypto out to others who would then, of course, pay you know interest on the loan and. That, in theory, was how they were supposed to be making money. But, of course, there were some shenanigans going on ostensibly behind the scenes. I don't know what all the details were there. But similar to the FTX thing, they weren't doing what they said they were doing. And there was a big crash of uh, cryptocurrency and they were over leveraged or extended and the house of cards came down. Um, And then what you're referring to is in the bankruptcy case in Celsius, because they still have a little bit of money left. Yep. Just not enough to cover all the uh, the assets that their customers gave to them. Uh, the decision that was made this week by the judge in that case was that based on Celsius's terms of service, which the judge says was com- was crystal clear, if you actually read the terms of service, but how many people do this? Mm. 
If you read the terms of service, it said that when you deposited your Bitcoin and or whatever other cryptocurrencies with Celsius, that they became the property of Celsius. Ooh, interesting. So that the the people who deposited those coins but, do not have a valid claim to them. You know what's interesting about this too is this is actually not unusual in the financial industry. Um, if you look at PayPal, PayPal has similar terms. Really? Yeah. Um, it's not your money. This is why they can basically seize your the funds in and your don't have to give it and back. Don't have to give it back. Wow. It's their money effectively until it ends up in your account and like bank, account, bank account or something. Account. It's yeah. it's not your money. Banks have certain like. Fiduciary, fiduciary responsibility yeah. uh or duty yeah, yeah. and uh huh. paypal doesn't because it's just a money it's like a, a register as a money transmitter but not a right they're not a bank, not a bank. Uh-huh. so uh yeah um and oh that's an interesting paypal gets even more interesting because they claim the right to take money from your bank account too so if Whoa. you link your account in order to get like if you're not getting a check from them and mm-hmm. you link your account to withdraw money from them like they can pull it back too um, according scary. to the terms at least i don't know if it's like i don't know if there's like i don't know if like like i mean there might be something like to protect you as a consumer there but it, yeah i mean in theory you might be able to go to your bank and and reverse uh, the payment maybe? or fight fight with paypal yeah over that. i mean i wouldn't want to have to most in most situations it's gonna cost you more in like lawyer fees probably than mm-hmm. what you'll get back depending on how much they take but it may be in some certain circumstances where they take a couple hundred thousand then maybe you know mm. yeah uh, that's interesting. I, I was not aware of that about PayPal because yep. I didn't read the terms of service either. You know, I, when I signed up for PayPal, it was the late 1990s or whenever it was. And it was like, oh, yeah. this is cool. You can buy things on the Internet. Every once in a while, I'll read a terms of service and, you know, especially like financial banks and, you know, PayPal. And I'll follow. I've been following this stuff for, for many, many, 30 years, probably mm-hmm. or so. And uh, since the 90s, at least. And it's yeah (laughs) there's some interesting things you learn there's the other crazy thing about terms of service is most of them have terms within them that say they can update the terms of service anytime they want right and in some cases i don't think they even have to notify you in other cases they just have to notify you about it so you know you'll get a little letter or you'll get an email or something your responsibility to check the terms of service every day and make sure yeah and if you want to not uh agree to you'll usually have like 30 days or something like that to like opt out right cancel your account at that yeah point, to cancel right? your account they exactly. say if they essentially say if you continue using your account with us that indicates that you have consented to the new terms i don't even know if it's continued using your account i think it's like just opting out like if you don't opt yeah. out you're automatically agreeing well, you, to whatever you don't get to opt are. out it's like if you opt out you're closing your account right that's the only other well, opting out yeah. is uh, yeah. closing your account you just yeah. can't say oh well i'll stick with the old terms no you don't you don't have that choice so it's a very right. one-sided thing terms of service aren't a real contract they're just <laughs> sort of this one-sided dictation basically that if you want to do business with this company you have to let them do whatever I mean, they want to you this is why we need real competition though i think mm-hmm. you know it's like you you're never gonna have when you have these super regulated entities like banks and you know financial institutions and there's no competition in the marketplace like what do you do if paypal you know you can't do pay, business with say paypal and you're a merchant right i mean good luck that makes things really really sure difficult does. because they have who an else does what they do yeah in the market who, and in some markets competitor? they do right who's their competitor well i mean on some place like maybe ebay for a long time there was no competition you could only use paypal so right and then i think <laughs> ebay actually got rid of paypal or vice versa they did, they or did. so in theory you you cannot accept paypal on ebay now but 
Yeah, finally. Yeah, I mean, it's, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's. So is eBay doing their own credit card processing? Is that how that works? eBay, yeah, yeah, that's exactly how it okay. works with the, I, I believe, the new system. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah, they will basically, they are acting as a merchant provider and doing, you know, the, and they're actually forcing people over to that system as well. Yeah. So um, I, I think you, you must still, you can still use PayPal, I guess. Right. Um, but, I, and I'm not entirely sure, like, but I guess you have to accept. I don't know. It's really eBay sucks. It's they've gone yeah. from being like they went from being like the internet golden child to just a terrible platform where they're just just molesting people for ridiculous fees and oh yeah and they you know they don't have a lot of competition. I guess Amazon technically is a competitor for eBay at this point because they seem to sell a lot of the same stuff. Like a lot of the vendors on eBay are uh, yeah. also vending on Amazon. I it mean, seems there like. is the problem is that eBay has stuff that Amazon definitely does not. Still, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, so I don't know. It's still probably easier for an individual to sell on eBay than it is on it, Amazon. Right, and and that's part of it. Like, you can't, not anybody can sell on Amazon. It's not a auction site, Amazon. Right. It's a, oh, you sign up and you apply and, you know, you fill out all this paperwork and then they accept you. Whereas eBay, you basically can sign up, like, immediately and list something. Um, so... If you want to join the show, the number is 603-283-6160. So we're talking about the, uh, the speculation here that the federal government is going to use the FTX failure as an excuse to push the concept of the central bank digital currency, or at least that's the theory being proposed by Kristen Tate over at thehill.com. I'm going to continue here uh, with this. So they point out that uh, FTX had a million or nearly a million customers and that uh, the criminal charges are a way to pin responsibility on Bankman, but not a means to fix the damage. The purported remedy instead may be the largest fiscal overhaul since the creation of the Federal Reserve, a switch to a cashless, centrally controlled digital form of currency could be relatively simple. Currently, the Fed and several major banks are running a digital dollar pilot and is being pushed as a good idea by media outlets, including opinion writers in the Wall Street Journal. The Fed is preparing the electronic form of currency in conjunction with similar efforts by other nations. After all, the argument may go, if the United States doesn't innovate, China or someone else will. And by the way, China has been uh, working on a CBDC for a few couple years now, I think, at least. So I don't know if it's I don't know if it's done in China. I have not heard the latest on the CBDC status there, but I, I'm still trying to figure out what the difference is between these other digital currencies governments have and like a, C, uh, a central bank digital currency. Because oh, like I have, can tell you, they have stuff that that sort of seems like it's exactly the same. So my understanding of the difference yeah. is the uh, CBDC will be completely run by the Federal Reserve, meaning that. Okay, so there's no intermediary, like a Visa right, or MasterCard. There's no bank or whatever. It'll be, yeah, there's no Visa or MasterCard. The Federal Reserve is going to have an app, essentially, that individuals will have control. They will have their own accounts directly with the Federal Reserve. If it works out in this way, right? It may not, yeah. right? Because like, they're still planning and plotting, and, and the major banks have a say in this. Like, they're going to weigh in, and maybe it will turn out that the banks will be able to deal in the CBDC. So it's not real clear yet, but yeah, yeah, yeah. in theory, the way it could work is that you as a quote-unquote U.S. citizen with a social security number would download the Federal Reserve app and put in all your ID and whatever, and then you have your access 
uh, to your account balance via the Federal Reserve. Now, you know it's going to suck. You know their app's going to be trash. It's going to be a government you know, app, and government apps and government websites are terrible, so it's going <laughs> to likely be an absolutely awful uh, user experience. But that is something that, that they want, as I understand it, that's what they ideally want to be able to do, is essentially cut out the banks uh, and just deal directly with with individuals. I mean, that seems like it would be really hard to... Uh, achieve without paying the banks off in some way um because well, that's the hard part I mean, right because you're gonna the, have i mean the, the banking industry is huge and they're yeah. gonna have a, they have a lot of money to and they are the federal reserve right <laughs> yeah. so like yeah how are they gonna do this how are they gonna get away with that that total sort of total control vision I, for i wonder if for this, this. Is, this is the kind of thing that's designed to fail like intentionally designed to fail and and i don't know if it's intentional well i mean it may fail but it, right but Hold on a second. Like, I mean, think about this. So they create this digital currency, the central bank digital currency. It's not going to work. They know it's, I, I would think they know it's not going to work because it doesn't have the value that, you know, cryptocurrencies have. Use that to then ban cryptocurrencies and say, well, now we have our central bank digital currency. And then when it fails, well, it doesn't really matter because... You know, that's what they kind of wanted in the first place because they they have so much money coming through. You're saying the banks want this to fail. You're saying the banks would essentially yeah. program this thing to to bomb. Right. Because mm-hmm. they they're gonna use this as maybe the excuse to to ban or, you know, make it basically impossible to use, you know, actual cryptocurrency. Well yeah, they certainly aren't gonna allow you to send uh, the Federal Reserve dig- or the uh, central bank digital currency to buy crypto with, right? Like that'll be on the <laughs> list of no goes uh, in that case. But uh, it still remains to be seen exactly what the interactions with the banks will be with this uh, thing. Because if it's indeed a Federal Reserve totally controlled by the center currency, then banks won't be able to issue loans with it. Right? They won't be able to create the CBDC from, from thin air because they don't have that authorization. So banks still may be able to loan the old form of the dollar. They may not take that away from the banks as a result of this. They may allow the banks to be sort of the portal where somebody can take their cash dollars and turn them into the CBDC, but not reverse. You know what I mean? Like where there's only a one way in mm. and you can't get out kind of uh, Or make si- it uh, situation. Uh, particularly difficult to get out if, you know. Yeah, that's so, another way to do it. Right. So all that still remains to be seen. And that's why they're trying their digital dollar pilot with some of the major banks out there. Uh, Some in Congress are already supporting the idea of a CBDC, and FTX may have provided just the grounds needed for a transition to such a system. A digital dollar would enable near total control of each person's transactions. This would extend far further than the IRS $600 income rule and could have massive impacts on taxation, earnings, and privacy. The ability to instantly track, catalog, and scrutinize every person's transactions is a dystopian nightmare. Considering the relative efficiency of the IRS, it is entirely probable the agency could send out audit letters to people people for Venmoing their friends back for their share of a restaurant bill or taxi ride. Furthermore, the digital dollar likely will coincide with the gradual abolishment of physical cash. And this may come into where uh, you were presuming that they might do like India did. Yeah. And other countries have done. I mean, the U.S. has already done it. It's just not to the degree that India has done it. Right. And in fact, she even says the same thing here. She says there may be some ability to keep small denominations or amounts. But if the transition mimics Franklin Roosevelt's executive order 6102 banning most private ownership of gold, your financial autonomy would be at risk. So imagine that what they might do here is 
they're gonna they're gonna have a transition period, right? Like they don't want to get rid of they can't get rid of cash immediately. They just can't. Like there's still some people that don't have a smartphone or you know, politicians still need to get paid off with cash, that kind of thing. So they went to bribe politicians with. Yeah, so there's still going to be a reason to have cash, but maybe they'll get rid of the $100 bill. Maybe they'll get rid of the $50 bill. Maybe it'll just be ones, twos, fives, and 20s from here on out, right? That's a possibility. Uh, 20 is probably too big. They won't do that right off the gap, right <laughs> off the bat. They'll do the hundreds. They'll do the fifties. Maybe they'll do the hundreds and the fifties together. Yeah. They'll leave the twenty out there for a couple of years. Then they might get rid of the twenty. Yeah, I can definitely see that. You know. So it'll be a gradual thing. Uh, and and this whole time they're going to be bringing the corporations on with accepting the CBDC and then encouraging the corporations to pay in the CBDC. And so there's going to be this the total like inside the system surf. That is completely CBDCized, and then there's still going to be the people that are kind of outside the system, people that want to avoid financial controls, and it's just the unbanked who just you know, or the uh, the luddites who don't want to have technology. And there's going to be solutions for those people, but they won't be system solutions. There'll be something that the market comes up with or whatever. It'll be interesting to see how it pans out. Hopefully, we never have to see this, but it seems like the direction they want to take things. So who in Washington, she says here at TheHill.com, wouldn't support the end of traditional cash? There will be plenty of politicians and pundits who extol the advantages, an end to counterfeiting, and an effective end to traditional money laundering and difficulty for criminals to pay for drugs. It can also be used to track questionable purchases and donations. Does it look like you're buying cocaine or illegal firearms? You're tracked. What about donating to the Canadian truckers the next time there's a protest? After all, it's happened before. Donate to the wrong political cause? Perhaps your information is leaked. These are all events that have modern-day precursors in our country, Canada, China, and beyond. If you listen to the government, a digital dollar sounds like a panacea built on the end of economic liberty. There are key advantages to the federal and state governments. Your social security, welfare, or paycheck would be deposited instantly. Your bank accounts would be synced with the Federal Reserve databases, your movements tracked through transactions, and you would become an asset to the Federal Reserve just as much as digitally printed dollars. If you believe that such a concept is either far-fetched or likely only far in the future, think again. China's dictatorship learned the full implications of monetary and social control over its population on, uh, through digital currency and its social credit system. That's the other side of the coin here, mm-hmm. right? Meaning that if you uh, are a bad person as far as the government is concerned, if you say things that the government doesn't like, if you're a danger to the status quo in some sort of peaceful manner, but you say things that you know they don't like, then they can they can black mark you in the yeah, social credit system. This will never happen. I mean, come in on, in the U.S., that's, that's China. There, you know, it's a dictatorship. It's communist, right? Uh, it is communist. Yeah. You know, it, right. it can never happen in the United States. Why not? Good question. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> it, it, Sweden, I believe, is it Sweden? I think I think it's Sweden um, has already done it. I mean, they've they've already. Uh, really? Pretty much. Um, social credit? No, 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 not social credit. But You're talking the, about cashless. Um, cashless. Yeah. Um, they, they basically already have it. If you right. try to spend cash, good luck. Um, nobody yeah, will take a, it. I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, China launched the world's first digital currency, and it includes several concerning elements. Its record of transactions is private unless law enforcement needs them. And although in an early stage, China's digital yuan is used by more than 200 million people. Okay, so this answers my question. I was wondering what the status was of the Chinese CBDC. They're saying it's going. It's happening. 
uh, used by more than 200 million people and just passed 100 billion yuan in transactions. Not only that, there's a very real possibility that those blacklisted by the Chinese government will be unable to use currency at all. What does that mean for those people? How? Yeah, I was going to say, how do you feed your family if you can't use the currency? There's more coming up here. The number is 603-283-6160. You can join us. Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live. Phones are open. You can join us. Number 603-283-6160. In the studio tonight, it's Ian and Chris. We are talking about the uh, so-called central bank digital currency, or CBDC. It's something that, unfortunately, you're likely to hear more about in the coming months and years as the federal government is in the interest of trying to catch up to China's totalitarian state. Trying to implement the same thing here in the United States, where there's a central bank digital currency. Not the digital dollar as you're used to seeing on a credit card statement, because those are digital. But something completely different. Something that doesn't necessarily involve the banks. Something that is issued directly from the Federal Reserve that would result in them, uh, for instance, issuing payments on welfare or perhaps even paychecks or whatever. Just coming straight from Uh, The Federal Reserve. So we can talk more about that coming up here. We're going to go to your phone calls and thoughts. Uh, Neil is on the line in Arizona. Neil, you're on Free Talk Live listening to K-Talks. Go ahead, sir. Hey, guys. How are you doing? First of all, shout out to Chuck in Longview, Washington. I want to talk about the cashless um, uh, currency. Um, I didn't realize this until recently. I have a friend that works at, uh, if you're familiar with Knott's Berry Farm in Buena Park, California. I've heard of them. Um, you can actually pay with cash to get in the front gate. It's kind of like Disneyland, but mm-hmm. on a much smaller scale. But once you're in the park, cash does you absolutely no good. Hmm. Uh, you can't buy a hot dog, a soda, play the arcade games. You can't do anything with cash in there. It's crazy. Yikes. Yeah, we were just talking about off air how uh, our, we have a Chipotle in Keene that they also won't take cash. And that may be a corporate decision, too. I think that may be all stores. And and do you think part of this is because the people that they're hiring to run cash registers these days have no idea how to make change? <laughs> it's, no, it, it, mean, it can't be because they it, literally the registers tell you how much change to give people. Yeah, but you still like, have to be able to count. Oh, and they haven't, they haven't a, gotten through the I third recently, grade. Right. I recently made a purchase, and it was uh, uh, $11.12. Mm-hmm. And I handed the cashier a $100 bill and $2. And they said, why are you giving me this much? It's so much, uh, way more than you owe me. Yeah. I said, just punch in $102. It'll tell you what to give me back. Oh, now I get it. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just weird. The people they're putting to work these days that have no, if that register didn't tell them how much change to give you, they'd be lost. Well, that's been true for probably decades. I mean, people rely on their tools. There's no doubt about that. But it's worse now than it's ever been. And I'll give you an example of this. There's, uh, I wish I could credit the name of the channel. I don't remember offhand. But Bonnie and I found this channel on YouTube where it's this younger guy who goes into malls and on like Times Square and places where there's a lot of people. 
and he talks with what appear to be mostly uh, Generation Z and the Millennial Generation, younger younger people. And he yeah. asks some of the most basic questions. Now, obviously, they're going to cut out the people that get the questions right. I mean, that's clear, <laughs> right? But there's a shocking number of people who, when asked questions like, how many dimes are there in a dollar? They do not know the answer. They that's, have that's sad. No idea. Yeah, they have no idea. And I just could to me, this was just like bewildering until I heard... Uh, Benjamin, who is the Goldback, one of the Goldback guys from Goldback.com, he gave a speech at the Porcupine Freedom Festival, which I watched later on because I wasn't able to attend it in person most of the time last year due to my bail conditions. But he gave an excellent speech about, you know, using real money instead of the government money. And he talked about how the younger generations, they are raised with credit cards. They're raised with debit cards. They're raised with these cashless options and cashless systems to where they don't get you know as you and i might have neil when we were growing up yeah you know 50 cents for uh you know taking out the trash from our parents or you know doing household chores they they don't have dollars they have a debit card that their parents let them have and, and for them they've maybe never even spent dollars they've never received uh dimes as uh, as change they get them hooked young too schools I, I don't know if they're still doing it this way but i know in the uh what was it well, not 90s, maybe, but uh, early 2000s, a lot of schools went to, uh, in order to buy lunch, you couldn't use dollars anymore. You had the to thumbprint. Uh, either, well, yeah, thumbprint yep. or a card. It used to be, you know, like basically like a debit card, except it would only yeah. work in the schools. And your parents had to load it. With, yep. And your parents mm-hmm. had to load it. And, uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's part of the reason here, Neil. I think these, these people have literally never had to uh, to change a dollar before. Absolutely. And before you let me go, I would love it if you guys would make a prediction for me. What do you think Sarah will talk about tonight? I mean, it's almost always traffic, although she's been, you know, a little more she's been bringing a little more variety to the table. We did tell her a few weeks back that she is just not allowed to talk about the same thing over and over again. So <laughs> so there is that. I don't know. We'll find out she already called in once, but we didn't get her on right away. So she she'll call back, though. Thank you, Neil. Okay, guys. Thanks you for the call tonight, day. man. I appreciate it. Uh, let's bring in Major Payne on the line in Michigan. Go ahead, Major. Oh, guys, you guys got me all distracted with that side side babble there. Um, where was I going to go? Something about oh, cashless. I think you were going to comment on the whole CBDC thing. Well, I just filed. I filed for Social Security here last spring. Okay. And they demanded that I get a bank account where they could get direct deposit and have my numbers. Right. Well, I have yet to do that, and they keep sending me checks. Ah. And on the back of every envelope, it says, you must obey the command from the dictator. Right? Meaning on the back of the envelope, they're telling you you better get a bank account? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They say, you know, you you must comply. Mm-hmm. I, I could go out and get the envelope. I just got one today. It's sitting on the dashboard of my truck. I could read it for you, to you verbatim. But, uh, yeah, they're telling me, yeah, I must comply. Or else what? I, 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 I refuse to do so. Right. Yeah. Or else what? What are I they going to do? I, I don't see why I should have to even go open a separate bank account. Just to have this damn thing put in. Wait, they want you to hold me for sixty freaking years, right? Hold on, just to clarify, do you already have a bank account, or are you a a bankless person? Well, I have a bank account, but I'm sure as hell not giving them my numbers. 
Oh, yeah. I see. So let me get you straight. They're not telling you to open up a separate bank account. They just want a bank account and Correct. you're not willing to give it to them, which is good That's for you, right. man. Good for you because we need more people standing up to this. Uh, things yeah. I can't say on air. Um, nonsense. Um, there's just not enough of us, unfortunately. Yeah, I told you I had a bitch drake. I am the unhackable Charlie Brown. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else, Major? Well, you guys were talking about the paper trail of money and whatnot. Yeah. Before the FDIC and all that was invented, the independent banks, especially out west in the gold field, they could print up their own notes. That's right. Yeah. And it was quite handy. I mean, it's pretty hard to carry $10,000 in gold unless you got an extra mule and then you're making yourself a slow target for a bad bunch of banditos. Mm-hmm. So paper was much easier to conceal, you know, and promissory notes and such. But, of course, there's always, you know, rotten apples in the barrel. And unless you got a bank that's, like, backed by a gold mine, you know, like, I don't know if you guys have ever watched Deadwood or not, but that's, yeah, I did. that's quite a tale there. It was a pretty entertaining show. Uh, I enjoyed that one. Uh, Major, thanks for the call tonight. I do appreciate it. The number here is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. We're talking about the central bank digital currency, the idea of the Federal Reserve itself just allowing the average person to have an account, maybe even forcing the average person to have an account. Of course, there's always going to be the ornery folks like uh, Major Payne and uh, and Chris, you and me and people that I don't want to comply with this system that they're going to try to force down our throats, like the Chinese government. And they're saying here the digital yuan, the new CBDC in China, is already used by more than 200 million people. And remember, China's got like 1 billion people, so they're still not there yet with a full rollout uh, of this thing. It's going to take time. China offers the model that we would be loath to follow. This is uh, from TheHill.com, the article by Kristen Tate, one of their opinion contributors, and she's against this uh, idea, which I'm grateful to see in the mainstream publication here. She says, however, more regulation in the recent crypto crash may say otherwise. Democrats always seem to find a way to win in cases like the FTX collapse. A young, incompetent CEO gets to donate to left-wing causes, receives fawning media profiles, and then his company crushes the dreams of a million investors. Despite the reported heavy donations to left-wingers, they can simply accuse him of similar yet untraceable donations to Republicans in order to muddy the waters. And allegedly he did donate uh, to Republicans. Democrats then can use the circumstances they benefited from to push for far-reaching regulation that will expand the power of the regulatory state. She says here finally that the collapse of FTX was perhaps predictable, but not intentional, although some people believe otherwise. Some some people believe that FTX was a scam from the word go, and that uh, Sam Bankman had himself a backdoor that he programmed into the system just so he could raid it when it uh, you know, all came crashing down. The vulture-like actions, she says, by those in power to take advantage of the disaster are both predictable and intentional. After all, to paraphrase Rahm Emanuel, never let a crisis go to waste. It says here Kristen Tate is a libertarian writer and analysist for Young Americans for Liberty. She's the author of the uh, latest book, How Do I Tax Thee? A Field Guide to the Great American Ripoff. Her Twitter handle is Kristen B. Tate. Pretty good story there, although it certainly does not foretell good things, which again is the 
the launch or the potential creation of a central bank digital currency here in the United States. Again, we don't know exactly what that's going to look like. The Federal Reserve, in tandem with some of the major banks right now, is in the middle of a digital dollar pilot in order to test out some of this technology, presumably uh, sort of like as an interbank thing, according to the story from Reuters. It started back in November. It is a 12-week-long pilot program, uh, including biggies like MasterCard, Wells Fargo, Citigroup. So you know when MasterCard's involved, they are trying to figure out how they can stay in business, right? Oh, yeah. What can they do to ensure that they can continue to provide uh, services to businesses that will give them their 3% that they're used to getting on every <laughs> single transaction, even in the uh, the aftermath of whatever this CBDC creation is going to be. So, you know, whatever this thing ends up looking like, it is going to be one ugly mother. It is going to it's going to benefit the Federal Reserve by more tracking and more you know ownership of your, your total financial from head to toe from beginning to end of your life and it's going to benefit the banks somehow and it's not really clear how that's going to be but it's going they're going to figure something out because the banks are not going to let this thing move forward without their approval and you have to remember the banks are the Federal Reserve the Federal Reserve isn't a government agency it's a private organization made up of member banks right mm-hmm. like that's that's what they are. They provide the uh, sort of the lend. They're the lender of last resort resort to the federal government as far as treasury bonds. If I recall how that system works correctly, meaning that when uh, the federal uh, the, the treasury wants to sell their bonds, they sell them on the open market to whoever wants to buy them. You know, sometimes there are other nations that are buying a bunch of them and individuals and that sort of thing. And then if there's some they can't sell, then I believe the Federal Reserve has an obligation to come in and buy those. That's uh, one of the things they print the money for, right? So they print they print up the money, <laughs> and then they buy the treasury bonds with them. So, you know, we'll see how this all shakes out. It definitely is going to be ugly when it's all said and done with. And, uh, and again, they haven't figured out any of the details uh, of this thing yet. So if you want to comment, you're welcome to join us here. The number is 603-283-6160. It's going to be tough, you know, to take uh, people like Major Payne, who he's he's going to die without ever getting that bank account. You know, he's he's going to pass away without having that bank account that the Federal Reserve wants him to, to have. But maybe they're sort of counting on that. You know, maybe they maybe they understand that look, this is going to take 20 years. This yeah. is going to take two generations. But eventually They'll get them. This They'll get why, all of the young people. This is why they target young, you know, they, they target uh, young people with, oh, you have to use your fingerprint to, mm-hmm. you know, pay for stuff or a card or, you know, whatever. Because they want to force young people to get used to while they're still, uh, you know, uh, they effectively got to do what you say, right? As opposed right. to an adult. You know, adults can kind of get away with not doing what, you know, the government wants a little bit more easily. Kids can't. They're, yeah. they're uh, you know, it's uh, they're dominated by, you know, adults and by schools and government. Sure. And their whole world is digital. You know, yeah. the the Z- Generation Z, I mean, these are in many cases not even adults yet. G- Generation Z goes back, I think, to like 2010, maybe, I believe, somewhere around that range. So people born after 2010 or whatever, the next one, I think they're calling it Generation Alpha because you know, they ran out of letters. So <laughs> going around the beginning. 
Uh, and so, like, these people in Generation so-called Z, they are essentially from, I believe, like 1997 through roughly 2011, something to that uh, to that effect, 2012, 15-year uh, window. They had the internet, you know, from the very beginning. They had the, uh, they, they were there when they were, uh, you know, a little baby playing on the computer. And as soon as tablets came out, they got those, right? Like they, they may not know a lot about how the internet works, but they've been part of that generation for their entire lives. Whereas you and I, Chris, you know, when we were born in the, the 1980s, the internet was just in its genesis phase, right? Like there was maybe some universities that might have been experimenting with. There was no internet until the nineties. There were networks and there was, uh, you know, dial up, uh, you know, BBSs and things like that, but not, not quite the internet. And there were, there was CompuServe or a little bit before the internet and, and AOL. Toward the late eighties, I think CompuServe or whatever. Early nineties, early nineties. But but, didn't know it wasn't the, uh, wasn't the federal government with the universities experimenting with, uh, with, internet well, sort of things like in the early days the internet was a government network called uh, arpanet mm-hmm. and um it was uh it, basically the government created another network for itself and then said okay you what was the arpanet right uh they said okay well you guys can commercialize this now now mm-hmm. all of a sudden you could sell stuff on arpanet whereas before you couldn't sell stuff on the arpanet mm-hmm. right there were domain names but you couldn't sell stuff on. But wasn't ARPANET. that in the eighties? Arpanet, Arpanet, yeah, it was in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's sure. kind of what I meant when I said like hardly anyone had access to it. But it uh, yeah, kind of existed. It was universities yeah. uh, primarily, right. governments. Um, yeah, I remember when I first got on the internet. It was probably like nineteen ninety two or three or something like that, or maybe ninety four, somewhere in that range. Would have been ninety four. Yeah, I yeah. think I had like dial up. And then you could turn that dial up into a, a graphics based thing through a special program or whatever, PPP or whatever it was. And it was there was this whole <laughs> there was this whole procedure to be able to see a, an image uh, on the Internet back in the day. But uh, I don't even remember. Why were we talking about the Internet? I, I forget. But the, the phones are open <laughs> if you want to join us here at 603-283-6160. Oh, yeah, it was the kids, the, uh, the yeah, young, of course. young people, right? So, so you know, we, we grew up where we didn't have that from day zero but these kids today they uh they have it from day day zero generation alpha even more so right like generation z at least in the late 90s they would have still had to have like an actual computer in front of them Mm. generation alpha if you were born in 2011 or 2012 then i mean you literally had tablets and smartphones and the, the whole deal uh the the entire time so these young people are completely acclimated to digital payments Many of them, as uh, the guy from goldback.com was saying in his speech at Porkfest, have never opened a physical wallet except to pull out a credit card or a debit card. Maybe their parents, even though they may not be old enough to, quote unquote, have their own credit card, you can still get a bank account with your parents' permission at a young age. You know, you go in with your parents, you open the bank account, and I presume that means you can be authorized to have a debit card at a young age, too. Right. Like if you can get a bank account, shouldn't you be able to have a debit card associated? This is something I I think I know the answer to. Um, And maybe maybe it's not still true, but um, there was not like a legal limit on like having a checking account. And the checking account is what enables you to have a debit card. So 
Right. Um, I think it was just the banks themselves that have limits. They have rules that they they set for themselves about that. You know, interesting question. Um, In like the 90s, I got my first debit card when I was like 11. And so there you go. I was probably like the only person at 11 who had a credit uh, debit card. A debit card, yeah. I guess it was. Um, yeah, you can't get credit until you're 18. Uh, I don't know if there's a law on that or not, but I don't think you would usually be issued credit for sure. Yeah, I don't think um, they want to deal with you. Yeah, <laughs> right, then. right, for other reasons, yeah. um, and contractual reasons too. But right, you, but right. you might be able to be a signer on a credit card, even mm. if you're not the holder of the card or a card in your name, but you're not. Uh, there's a lot well, of Well, right, and that's one of the reasons why a lot of banks won't open an account for someone under 18 is because of the contractual issues, that they right. wouldn't be able to hold them liable for signing an agreement with them. Right. They could do it if they wanted to. Yeah, I mean, so... And that's why they have the mom and dad come in and co-sign. There are, I mean, there are ways around a lot of this stuff. Like, as a young person, um, you can get different types of cards where nobody's actually iding you um, you mean like a prepaid debit card or something or a prepaid, prepaid card you only card? Need a, you only need a social security number and mm-hmm. you, can, you can have up to like 750 dollars maybe or something like that on the card mm-hmm. preloaded um so and you know so there's different there's different ways to work around some of this um paypal i mean anybody i mean anybody can pretty much sign up for a, uh, an account and get a card in the right. mail um so there's i mean sure it's not technically a bank account but you can deposit it's as useful in many ways, it, right? Right, because yeah. there are you can. Well, I don't know. If you this can is receive tr- payments. True. You can spend it on the debit card, right? But you could fund a PayPal account at least back in the day using a money order from mm. a post office, mm-hmm. just as an example, or a cashier's check. So, but kids you know, aren't doing that, right? Like you're a teenager. I today. was in the nineties. <laughs> I know you were, but you. I'm talking about kids today, right? Like young people today. I don't know that kids they're not were going doing and buying a money 90s. order. I doubt. I'm it. saying that yeah. they can. They yeah. could. Um, so there are ways young people can get around these issues, and I'm sure there are other were other people, you know, in the nineties doing it, young people, but. There were more people there. I mean, everybody was doing it in the nineties because, you know, credit cards weren't, weren't as common then. And uh, for a variety of reasons, I mean, if you went on eBay in the nineties, people would say, oh, I accept money orders. They might not even have an ability to accept these days. Yeah, probably not. Well, let's go to the phones back here. and then back in those days, you know, you might only be able to use a money order Correct. To buy something in the eBay. very beginning. Right. Yeah. Right. So, Before prepaid. Right. And that's what I was on eBay yeah. in the early days. So. Let's talk to Sarah. She's on the line in New Mexico. Sarah, we've been talking about uh, cashless payments and PayPal and you know getting welfare payments from the government. I figured somebody knows a thing or two about welfare payments. It's got to be Sarah. So I'm glad that you called in. Uh, Sarah, can you tell us, are you somebody who gets the welfare payment in the form of a check or do you get a direct deposit into a bank account? Or is it some sort of card? Well, it's not welfare. I'm on permanent disability. There's a difference. So I, I'm... I'm well, whatever you want to call it. Does the disability check, uh, is it a check or does it come into your uh, your your bank account directly via direct deposit or is it on a, a card? Well, I, I chose to have a direct deposit into my bank account. Okay. So, but I don't know if they they have a prepaid load card. That's what I heard for people with bad credit. Mm -hmm. For my electronic benefit transfer, um, it comes automatically in my um, check debit card, like a debit card, and also the cash benefit. And those are people who are um, on welfare. It's supposed to be temporary. So those are the welfare when you're in a need, when you don't have any money until – but you have to be homeless and be out of work for a whole year 
for you to prove to the government that you need help. Or, or otherwise, they're not going to help you. So you you have to be completely without. Okay. But I was, but I was wondering, I um I was wondering if our speeding camera tickets could be paid out of our debit card. Also, I I was kind of wondering what the payment plans are. But why would you I wonder about great... that? You don't drive. Well, um, there was a, a a topic brought up because now. Um, our state were allowed to put the cameras on the freeways and the state uh-huh. highways just everywhere. Is we we um, we put that language together. You didn't do it. So, well, I mean, I had a. a I was talking to Mo, Mo Maestas, and they, they. I mean, who's that? Shot up his house. Representative Mo Maesta. He was going to help me to change the language. He's a somebody lawyer, shot up and, his house. And uh, Senator Lopez and Councilor Commissioner Ms. O'Malley. And then, they shot her uh, house up too. Yeah, there's four of them. Four, and then Torres, um, our district attorney. But they say that it's one guy that did it, and all. I think all this happened after we were going to put the cameras everywhere. We'll, we'll you think that the reason why people got their houses shot up is over speeding cameras? I mean, I well, don't know if I buy that one. I don't. I, they I probably crossed so. somebody that they uh, they shouldn't have crossed for other reasons would uh, would be my guess. The odds that somebody is going to go and like attempt murder over speeding cameras seems pretty unlikely to me. But that thank was, you, sir. That was my line. The call tonight. <laughs> There's more coming up here. Hour number three is on the way. It's Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live. You can join the show here. Join us at uh, 603-283-6160. That's our number. The phones are open, and you can bring up anything you want to discuss. That's what we do here on Free Talk Live. Open phones every night. We're here live seven nights a week. Here tonight, it's Ian. And Chris. Join us online anytime you want. Just head over to freetalklive.com and you can get behind what we do here at Free Talk Live as Suzanne Borjo has done. She is a gold level supporter of the show, which means she's doing 10 bucks a month over at amps.freetalklive.com. That's amps.freetalklive.com. Amps stands for Advertise, Market, Promote, and Support. It is a way for you to support our mission of spreading the ideas of liberty and peace and freedom and cryptocurrency and other alternatives to the state system every single night of the week on broadcast radio and online as well. Uh, It's been a really good week so far this week with the new show clock that we've introduced where we've cut out two entire breaks an hour. If you've been listening, you probably already noticed the difference uh, that also means we go to the phones here, in many cases, with unscreened calls, because we, we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. Uh, so let's talk to this person here. You're on the air on Free Talk Live. Go ahead. Hello? Hey, you're on the air. What's your name? Yeah, um, uh, you were talking about cryptocurrency and a central bank digital currency. We were. And it just it just so happens that uh, I have written quite a few articles on this subject, and okay. I also uh, give presentations on it at tech conferences. Uh, you know, there aren't really many accredited experts on this right now, but I'm kind of in it pretty deep. All right. Uh, and I, I'll be happy to tell you uh, some of the things about it that I've been able to figure out over the past few years. Well, tell me, uh, first of all, what are the 
what are the big banks proposing for what their involvement ought to be in this? Because we know the major idea, the major concept of the central bank digital currency is that the Federal Reserve would have total awareness of everybody's transactions and likely 100%. that yeah, likely that all welfare payments and government payments would be issued through it. But we know the Federal or the Federal Reserve Bank is made up of these big banks, and they're not just going to go disappear just because the Federal Reserve. Well, you know, you're absolutely right on this. There's a couple of points on this that that you're bringing up. First of all, the way that they will try to force people to use it is by making it impossible to avoid, by mm-hmm. giving you know, uh, Social Security checks and things like that only through the CBDC, which means uh, you can't avoid it. Like the gentleman that called in earlier that didn't want to give his bank account, uh, well, tough, we're not giving you an option. You have to, mm-hmm. right? Um, but secondly, this presents an existential threat to the big banks, because the truth of the matter is we already have digital currency. Your debit yes. card uses digital currency, PayPal, whatever. And so all this really does is kind of create an end around on the big banks, right? The Federal Reserve will be your bank. They will be your bank account. And that's pretty dystopian if you really think about it. Um, Now, one solution that they're trying to come up with, because certainly the big banks aren't going to take this line down, is that, believe it or not, they're actually trying to create two different versions of the CBDC. One will be a private, shall we say, internal CBDC mm-hmm. that will be used between the government, between the big banks, etc. And then there will be what they call a retail CBDC, which is the CBDC for you, me, and everybody else. Mm. And they will have two different functionalities to them. But the retail CBDC really is pretty dystopian. And I, I, I try to avoid conspiracy theory stuff, but this would require you to use a digital wallet approved by the federal government. Mm-hmm. All of your currency, the CBDC, will be tracked. Of course, they would be able to limit things like what you can buy, how much you can spend. They could take money out of it immediately. I mean, the federal government would have complete control over the wallet. And the real push for the CBDC, um, of course, is a response to cryptocurrency mm-hmm. because Bitcoin and the more advanced cryptocurrencies really do pose an existential threat to centralized fiat. Yeah. You know, the different fiat currencies around the world, uh, yeah, they're in real trouble once people start using crypto. And rest assured, the federal government absolutely understands this. Sure, and that's why they're trying to head this off by coming out with the CBDC as soon as they possibly can. But just to focus on your idea of the, or the, not not that it's your idea, but the the idea you're proposing here that you've heard about this double-sided CBDC where there's the internal banker CBDC for internal settlements and then there's the retail one. What would the big banks be involved in when it comes to the retail CBDC? Would these wallets be administered by the big banks? Would Bank of America have its own CBDC, quote-unquote, wallet that's sort of branded as their bank? Or would this be straight with the Federal Reserve? Would accounts be held? This would be straight with the Federal Reserve, Okay, right? But you see, what you're touching on is the problem that ultimately has not been figured out. If And again, in a crazy dystopian world, you and I use the Federal Reserve as our bank account through this CBDC. What we're doing is taking all the liquidity out of the commercial banks. Mm -hmm. The CBDC would do exactly what cryptocurrency is doing, and that's render commercial banks unnecessary. I don't need a commercial bank if Uncle Sam holds all of my money. And so 
look, we've well, got but a, wait, we've wait, got wait, a, hold uh, on. Before you before you go on, you don't generally for like day to day transactions, but loans. The Federal Reserve is not going to want to. They're not going to want to have an office where the average person who needs you know a five thousand dollar car loan is going to come in and sit and fill out paperwork to get an approval. So that would that I would presume that would still be left to the big banks to play with. Of course it would, but where are the banks going to get the money that they loan out? If if Uncle Sam is holding all of your money, you don't have any money in the big bank. Well, no, no, no. You should know, but you should know that the the banks don't actually loan out money that they have. They create it. They 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 have fine. Uh, <laughs> well, they do. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. And, and so you're right. And so it, it's it's a really vexing problem mm-hmm. because yes, it will suck liquidity out of the banks. But of course, yes, you're right. Uncle Sam wouldn't be involved in in giving loans. That that would still rest on Bank of America and J.P. Morgan and the like. Right. Um, Ultimately, though, the CBDC really is just a response to the very real threat that blockchain-based assets, i.e. Bitcoin, Ethereum, etc., pose to fiat currency. You know, it is. Borderless, immutable currency that no central entity can control is not what the Federal Reserve wants. I, I got uh, scares them to death. I got a question for you. Um, so where how, how are they going to deal with the 3% 3 to 6% that they normally charge merchants right like i mean are merchants going is there a fee structure that's laid out with this retail digital Good currency question. i mean i can't imagine that the banks are going to be willing to give up that you know that 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 uh that cushy income stream i agree 100% and it is a very very cushy income stream and people don't necessarily understand that you know when visa and mastercard uh, you know, your debit card, that's a Visa MasterCard, people don't understand that those are actually managed by banks. That's right. right. So it's right. a bank that gets that merchant fee. Visa and MasterCard are just the computer software that runs it. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right. Uh, with, a, with a CBDC, you wouldn't need to use a debit card anymore. Uh, or you wouldn't need to use a Visa or a MasterCard debit card anymore. And so you're absolutely right. It, it, it puts an end around those merchant fees and i might add cryptocurrency does the same thing but yeah. yet as we mentioned this uh what they're calling the digital dollar pilot program that they've been running since mm-hmm. mid uh november they list mastercard as one of the entities involved in this pilot program mm. so they're in on the ground floor of this mm-hmm. with an ear at the federal uh government to you know whisper in it and say oh, here this is how it should work you know like so there's they're gonna try to like you're saying it the, i think you're the the word you used is correct here there's it's a vexing problem for them because on one hand they want to have total central control of everything but on the other hand they are the big banks and they don't want to screw their big banking uh, buddies yeah. I, this this is what i was you're, you're 100% i was right. wondering like is, do you do you think this might be in, intentionally they want this to fail like they're setting it up to fail just so that they can ban cryptocurrency like because i'm trying to i'm trying to figure out like what is the angle here like why would mastercard why would banks be in favor of a digital you know uh any kind of digital currency what it is is they understand the true existential threat that cryptocurrency poses to fiat and so what they're desperately trying to do is find a way to compete with cryptocurrency okay these are and and this is when i give my presentations this is what i say these are the horse breeders trying to find a way to compete with automobiles. Mm. Okay. You know, Henry Ford has come along, the Model T exists, and they're the horse breeders desperately mm-hmm. trying to come up with some way to compete. And ultimately, it's just not going to happen. Ultimately, we are moving into an entirely new phase of how we transfer assets, what we call money. We are taking 
the central control by the Federal Reserve of Currency, we are taking that away, and they don't know how to solve that problem. Well, I appreciate your optimism that you you know you don't think that ultimately this is going to work in the long run. I hope you're right about that. Uh, but tell me, you didn't. I asked you in the beginning what your name was. You mentioned you write articles, oh, give sorry, speeches. My is, well, yeah, I'm, yeah, my name is Trevor Smith. Trevor, um, I wrote I wrote for a, uh, a Bitcoin news uh, website called Bitcoinist for a while. Okay. Um, now I travel and I and I speak on it. And I was just, cool. I was listening to your show and I decided to call in. Great man. Anything else you want to share tonight, Trevor? Well, I would say that before anybody gets involved in cryptocurrency, and of course we know a lot of people, what is it now, 14% of the American public uh, now own cryptocurrency? Oh, okay, that's uh, good. Do, do your research. Study it, study it, study it. Do not buy any of it until you actually understand how it works, because we know that a lot of people just got burned with FTX, and I'm sure you've heard of that. That's oh, yeah. News. Yeah, we talked a lot and about that. That wasn't a failure of cryptocurrency. Nope. That was a failure of the central entity that was holding people's cryptocurrency. And so people that, you know, well-meaning, perfectly honest people that say, I'm going to buy Bitcoin, I'm going to buy Ethereum, but they don't necessarily know how it works. Yeah. Well, they bought it from FTX. They let FTX hold it. FTX went Whoops. bust, and now, now they're out. Well, yeah. Exactly. So not your keys, not money. your coins, which is, you know, not the old your lesson. Keys, not your coins. 100% correct. It's a so lesson that has been taught again and again, and it will be taught again in the future because FTX is not going to be the last example of this well, happening. You're not kidding there. Yeah. You're not kidding there. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, education. You, you have to learn how this works before you get it. And I encourage people to learn about it because blockchain is here to stay. It is absolutely no doubt. here to stay. Um, and it is a positive. It will be a net positive, even if it will be a bumpy road to get there. Um, and it, 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 once you start to study it, as I'm sure you know, uh, you just immediately go into the deep end because you realize what kind of a revolution we're dealing with. Yeah. This is not small. This is huge. Yep, absolutely. I mean, we've been uh, longtime advocates for uh, financial freedom here on Free Talk Live all the way back before crypto, and we were big fans of you know using gold and silver, and and still to this day, I mean, uh, we love the gold back here, which is a really cool alternative to using dollars in physical reality. And then, of course, cryptocurrency as well, which I would use if I weren't on insane bail conditions <laughs> that prevented me from using it, thanks to the federal government cracking down. Uh, they've been cracking down, as I'm sure you've been following, with uh, the Good SEC job. attacking companies and developers like uh, Library and uh, Ripple. And then, of course, the FBI going after people for running crypto vending machines and selling peer-to-peer. So I mean, they're, they're going all in on the attack against cryptocurrency. They are going in all in. I mean, you, you are not kidding on that. And you, but see, the problem is we have free speech in this country, mm-hmm. and you can't censor computer code. And that ultimately, that's all crypto is. It's just computer code. Yeah. And they can't shut down the internet. And you mentioned the. I tried explaining that to the jury, and it didn't help. <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> it didn't help, huh? no. Well, you know, sorry to hear that. Yeah. Um, but you mentioned the SEC and the, and the Ripple lawsuit. The SEC is trying to turn Ripple into a security, or that's their argument that Ripple is security. And as you probably know, the SEC is losing that case. They're losing in a big way. Are they? Um, oh yeah. Uh, Ripple is different results in well, library. Again, yeah, and Library 2, and, and Library 2 they're going after next. No, no, um, now, they won against Library. Library is oh, is going library. to go down in flames, it looks like. The only thing they haven't figured out is how much, you know, flames they're going to, how many how much gasoline uh, they're going to pour on this fire. Uh, we're going to be attending the latest hearing that's going to come up later this month for the Library quote-unquote settlement, where Library is expecting to not only go out of business, but maybe also lose even more than their business in some way. Like the SEC is not 
they're not satisfied with just destroying Library as a corporation. They want to also destroy Odyssey, which is this sort of semi-related uh, platform that they have for sharing videos online, and probably even worse than that. It's ugly. So they did find that the Library token in federal district court here in New Hampshire is a quote-unquote security, and that, to me, does not bode well for, for the Ripple case. Well, I was going to say, you, know, you never want to presume... What, what, what the court will rule until the ruling comes down. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're certainly correct. Uh, but Ripple has been making an extremely strong case. Yeah, there, there's, uh, and, there's a difference yeah. between those two cases. There is, for sure. They're yeah. similar, but they have different arguments. And, and of course, you know, like Bitcoin, uh, remember, Bitcoin was specifically designed so that it could not be censored or shut down. You know, it's like, it's like yeah. Napster. You know, when, when people ask me what's the best uh, analogy, I say, I say it's like Napster 20 years ago. And yes, they were able to shut down Napster, but they couldn't shut down file sharing. The minute That's they true. shut down yeah, Napster, you know, five more popped up. It's probably more uh, similar to, I believe, Kaza. Um, was it Kaza? Mm-hmm. That was one of them. Yeah, no, LimeWire, sorry. LimeWire. LimeWire. It's closer to LimeWire because LimeWire, even if they shut down LimeWire, FrostWire continued for a long time. <laughs> and FrostWire was literally just a, it was a LimeWire, except without the, um, without some of the limitations of mm-hmm. LimeWire in terms of its speed. Trevor, thanks well, for calling tonight. If you have final thoughts, go ahead. Well, uh, the, the, best, uh, uh, the best thought that I would have here is educate yourself and be prepared for a very interesting decade. No, no doubt. question about it. No doubt. Thank you, man. Appreciate the call. Thanks for weighing in here tonight. I appreciate the expertise. Uh, and that again, Trevor uh, Smith calling, former uh, author there. At, uh, he said, I think it was Bitcoinist, the website. Yeah. Now lecturing and uh, writing articles about the CBDC. Glad people are paying close attention because uh, we definitely need that. Uh, Sydney is on the line in Pennsylvania. Go ahead, Sydney. Hey guys, thanks for taking my call. That What's was a very you? insightful call. I actually hope that guy calls back, you know, in the future because yeah, sure. he can actually, in, you know, give insightful information. I wanted to talk about Bitcoin also. Sure. Um, he was optimistic that Bitcoin would win. I personally really like Bitcoin. I like alternative currencies, cryptocurrencies, alternative methods to transact gold, silver, other methods. Um, but I'm not optimistic like he is. Um, so I wanted to talk about a scenario because you guys have been talking about a lot with like CBDCs today and Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, with Bitcoin, there's only going to be a certain number of tokens in total. When all the mining has found all the you know, Bitcoins, I think it's around 18 million. Is that right? 21. 21 million, but there have been some that have been lost. I've heard estimates as high as like 2 to 4 million Bitcoins are like lost forever. They're in wallets that no one has access to. They've lost the keys. Yeah, so I exactly wanted Surprised to get to that. Um, yeah, that aspect of it. So um, people anticipate it would end up being the reverse of the fiat system, whereas in the fiat system, they can print as much money as possible. Yeah. In the Bitcoin yep. and possibly also the precious metal realm, eventually you get to all of it and there's a limited supply. So I right. think that that's advantageous versus the fiat system sure. because it gets you back to your principles with economics. So sound money, I think, is essential. I think a lot of the dysfunction that we see in the world is simply because money has become totally perverted. Sure. So, um, you know, we're, we're all working for it. It's fake. It's manipulated. And, you know, so I'm not optimistic at all. They'll pass laws to ban Bitcoin, ban activities related to bitcoin you know I'm optimistic about the technology i'm optimistic about freedom in the future um so i want to get to bitcoin about this loss uh eventually there'll be a certain number of tokens let's say there's widespread adoption people are using it you know through let's say the lightning network or something else and just some fantasy world and let's say that there are hackers that have their own store of bitcoins and 
as soon as they get Bitcoins, they destroy them. So they lose their passwords on purpose. So let's say, uh, you know, you somebody does. Why the hell would they do that? Attack. That's going to be expensive. <laughs> well, it would push up the value of what's left over. And then, so I want to get to is. But why would they that do that? Why, why would individuals because who have. Because have a stash of it. Because what? They already have a stash of it. But why wouldn't they want more? Like, why wouldn't they? Why, there's, there's no economic incentive to destroy your own Bitcoins. Uh, we'll take it off the market. You know, they could keep the password, but keep it completely off the market. So I mean, you're not going to increase example. You're not going to increase the value enough by destroying some of your own Bitcoin to then have to make up more, the difference. Right to make up the difference. Like I don't, I don't think that makes. And any sense. even if you uh, don't use the coins, like there's a lot of Bitcoin that are just sitting today. They haven't been moved in years, if ever. They're just sitting there. But in theory, they could be moved at any time. So there's no way to know. Right. The How market would, has to price all that into yep. the Bitcoin price. So. You know, what you say you're going to do with your Bitcoins doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I mean, even if you said you right. destroyed, you know, your private key or whatever that held, I don't know, two million, you know, worth of Bitcoin, how, is, how can anybody know how for sure, right? That, yeah. I mean, it could be you right. have a copy or somebody else has a copy or, yeah, I don't know. Well, uh, so, for example, the federal government in Ross's trial, they got a lot of Bitcoins from that one. And, yeah. and there have been subsequent seizures of many types of cryptocurrency, and they sell these cryptocurrencies using a process. They're probably they bound by law, but it's been, you know, a decade of cryptocurrencies. And uh, they I think that that's Trump change to them. But them also just holding on to it, uh, you know, that doesn't possibly give them much utility. So, you know, like if they had kept Ross's coins until the peak of Bitcoin last year and then put them on the market, OK, it would have brought down the price. But they could have achieved a better price. But they sold them almost immediately. I think that, Ian, they took some things from you and they're going to liquidate those. They would li- wouldn't they liquidate those things? They certainly so, would. Um, yeah, uh, as soon as the, yeah. uh, I, I don't know if they have to wait till the appeal or if they can just get, get cranking, you know, once the sentence comes down. I'm not sure what the uh, the restrictions are and when they can do that, but I suspect they can There's probably be do it right away. There's going to before they can do anything, I would think. I think they just have to file a motion. Like they have yeah. to... So I'm no expert, perhaps that pre- previous person I called. It's just sort of the inversion of our current world mm-hmm. where instead people are holding on to things that become more and more precious as time goes by. Either they're divided up more among you know greater part- pool of participants or there's a loss going on, people losing their passwords. They're becoming less and less Bitcoins over time and people possibly hoarding them. You know, So I think gold has that same sort of restriction. And I'm just playing with the idea. I'm just throwing out that hypothetical. Well, one of the problems that I think you may be alluding to here without maybe using the name of it is this. uh, There's a sort of economic rule or or theory that essentially says bad money chases out good money. And what that what that means is uh, that, you know, given the choice, somebody that has dollars and somebody that has crypto or gold is more likely to spend the dollars because they understand that those are losing value over time, and so therefore, if they have them, it makes more economic sense to get rid of them. If you're going to spend a thing, you spend the thing that's going to drop in value faster, right? So that's one of the things that crypto is actually working to try to defeat, and it's the trickiest, I think it's one of the trickiest parts to getting crypto adoption out there, and this is something that, Chris, you and I have, have been dealing with for you know half a decade or something like that now, wherein even dealing with activists 
who know better, who should know yeah. the value of using crypto. That use, know that if you don't use crypto, it does not have value. It has to be useful <laughs> right. in order for it to be valuable, but yet they will hold on to it and they'll they'll just keep it and, like you're saying, not use it and then hope that it just goes up in value. Meanwhile, they're spending dollars and that's not helping the crypto economy. It's actually hurting it, but it's a, it's sort of a natural thing. It's this it's an issue that's very very hard to defeat. The only way that I think it'll be defeated is if you somehow incentivize people to pay with crypto by giving them a discount, and we just don't see that often enough. Absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We need to use these technologies, not just only talk about them. And, you know, we need to live our principles as much as possible. Thank you, Sydney, for the call tonight. I totally agree with that uh, sentiment, which is, of course, why I think that liberty-minded crypto people need to concentrate their physical jurisdiction. They need to be in the same area to where they can interact with each other with cryptocurrency and they can buy things from local businesses with it as well. Uh, And that's, of course, what we're doing here in New Hampshire. You can join us. uh, Check out the Free State Project. Check out the Shire Society. More coming up. It is Free Talk Live. You got time. If you want to join the show here, the number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Been focusing in on uh, the cryptocurrency threat to the status quo, which is a completely peaceful threat, which is why it's so successful so far. Because the government knows how to deal with violence. They know. They're ready for that. They got bear cats. They got machine guns. They got armor. They got grenades. They're ready for that. They know how to handle that. But they don't know what to do about people just out-competing them, about a better system that exists that people could just choose. And they really get upset about that. They're going to use violence to try to stop it, but the system that is a threat to the government system is a nonviolent system inherently. It is a peaceful system. It is Bitcoin. It is cryptocurrency. These alternatives, gold, silver, these other things that uh, people can get into without having to ask permission from anybody. It's Ian and Chris here in the studio tonight. Let's go to David in Georgia. You're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead, David. Hi. Um, quick thing. First of all, I was just listening to that FSN. And can we go ahead and get rid of this whole January 6th nonsense? We know the government was afraid of the people. We know the government is afraid of the people. Um with, with that rant rant on that little bit over, just that FSN news story caught my caught my attention there. Oh, I didn't I didn't um, hear what the the content of it was. And, and by the way, most of our listeners on radio stations probably have no idea. But that said, certainly the mainstream media has been blowing January sixth out of proportion for the last two years, and I suspect they didn't stop doing that today. Oh no, that was it was just on FSN that they were uh, giving the police that uh, helped quell the Capitol rioters medals of whatever (laughs) baloney anyway (laughs) with that being said um i'm a bit worried about bitcoin because uh, bitcoin's like long-term future Hmm. because the fact that it's only got you know seven transactions per second capability of being done and as the bitcoin halving keeps happening and less and less bitcoin are being created there is less and less incentive to continue to mine it and the hash rate will go down making it easier eventually to attack and mm. hit one percent or take over um this 
this is solved a lot of the, a lot of it is solved by Monero's tail admission uh, tail emission because there's 430 new Monero created per day, mm-hmm. which would technically make it slightly inflationary, but yeah. it's asymptotically zero. And what does that mean? As um, it means it approaches zero. So like uh, as it as it continues to inflate ever so slightly, it closer and closer approaches zero. So right now it's like 0.9 percent. And in like a couple of decades, it'll be 0.5%. And even gold inflation is like 1%. Oh, I see um, what you're saying. So you're saying that when a Monero block is mined, which again, Monero, for listeners that don't know, is a Bitcoin competitor. It is the privacy, it's sort of the world's premier uh, privacy coin. So you can't technically verify that there's 400 of them coming out or 430 of them every, what would you say? It was every minute? When are the blocks on Monero? Uh, the blocks are two minutes. Two minutes. And it's zero point six Monero per block, so it's like four hundred and thirty per day. Oh, per day. Okay, I got you. Thank you. So four hundred and thirty per day. And what you're saying is the number four hundred and thirty is not going to go down over time, but the percentage of what that represents of the total supply of Monero obviously is going to get smaller over time. Correct, because when it's eighteen million like it is now, uh another four hundred and thirty is whatever percent of eighteen yeah. million. But yep. then when the supply in 20 years is 25 million, well, 430 is a smaller percentage of 25 million than it is of 18 Got million it. now. Okay. That and makes so sense. It, it asymptotically approaches zero. Well, Sam, so your uh, prediction was that Bitcoin itself uh, is going to have a tough time given that at roughly every three to four years, Bitcoin's mining reward cuts in half. So right now it's, I believe, 6.25 Bitcoin per roughly every 10 minutes when a a block is mined onto the blockchain. And for listeners that don't know, the blockchain is the public ledger with Bitcoin that uh, has every transaction on it from the very beginning of uh, Bitcoin back in 2009. And uh, the blocks are the transactions that have happened. Uh, that's that's them being permanently added to that, uh, that, that ledger. And so every time a block is mined onto the blockchain, those transactions become permanent, they're there forever, and then the miners get paid this mining reward, which is going to get cut in half, I believe, sometime next year, uh, meaning 2024, isn't that right? That's correct. Like, April of 2024 is when they're predicting it. Right, so it'll go to 3.125 Bitcoin instead of 6.25, or whatever it is. And uh, and so that will mean fewer Bitcoin come out. But I guess the prediction would be that, well, Bitcoin will likely be worth more at the time. So therefore, incentive will still be present uh, for miners to well, come into the picture. I mean, I, doesn't it readjust anyway automatically? If The difficulty uh, does it does readjust. That's right. True. So if, if there's fewer miners. Well, what he was saying, though, Chris, is that even though... The- the mining difficulty will readjust, meaning that if there are fewer miners, it becomes easier to find the Bitcoin block at that point. Yeah. Um, and if there are more miners, it becomes harder to find the Bitcoin block. However, what he's saying, what David's saying is, if the total amount of mining power goes down over time, then that makes the network easier to attack. Is that right, David? Yep. And another thing is yeah, okay. the, fee, the fee marketplace that they want really hasn't shown up because when you have to pay $100 to get a Starbucks coffee for the transaction fee, like back in 2017, yeah. it's kind of 
have failed failed as a currency, seven transactions per second and really high transactions. Yeah, well, that was what they intended to do. That's why uh, MasterCard uh, invested in the digital currency group that invested in Blockstream and AXA, a major international banking institution, invested in Blockstream years ago. So they then started paying the Bitcoin, uh, the key Bitcoin programmers to essentially cripple Bitcoin and stop it from being able to do what, like you said, more than seven transactions per second. Uh, David, let's back up exactly. a second. So you're you're not saying that the issue can't be fixed. You're saying it's it's it, they're it's they're not, not going to be. be fixed, yeah. and therefore it'll, they're going to undermine it. The, effectively, yeah, those behind it are undermining it. That's what we've been saying here for years. Right, right, right. I, I just I'm trying yeah. to understand it. That's that's what you're saying. Yeah, because um, because nothing like happens. So like the Bitcoin people know that this is a problem, but. Uh, it's so entrenched that there will only ever be 21 million and there should only be one megabyte blocks that you can't increase the, the transactions per second because of the one megabyte blocks and therefore the, the fees would go down and you can't increase the 21 million cap because then the, the whole premise of Bitcoin only having 21 million is broken. Mm-hmm. This digital gold thing is a complete if I'm understanding correctly, Satoshi wanted Bitcoin to be a digital cash, not digital gold. Right. It says it in the white paper. It's on the front page. It's the subtitle, electronic yeah. peer-to-peer electronic cash. And th- in that case, Bitcoin has failed at what it was meant to yes, be. Yes, that is true. But it was. Uh, but luckily, it's an open marketplace, and there are a zillion other opportunities and other options. You mentioned Monero. That's one of a myriad yeah. of uh, of other options. The privacy coins. There are others, uh, other privacy coins competing with Monero, and there are other cryptos that are competing to be electronic cash, such as Dash and Bitcoin Cash. So, I mean, there are other opportunities out there. It's just that Bitcoin is the first on the scene. It has that network effect. It has that first mover advantage, and it has the name recognition as a result of that. And the rest of the cryptocurrency alternatives, they just don't have the recognition. People don't know what they are. I've I've always heard it said, and I kind of agree with this, that Monero is what Bitcoin people thought they bought. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In in 2011, yeah. I, I think at this point, I think the illusion of anonymity has been pretty smashed as far as uh, Bitcoin is concerned. But there was a time in the past when that was what people said about Bitcoin, and they were wrong. It's pseudo anonymity, but yeah, I mean, yeah. I, some people were saying it was anonymous back back in the day. They even no, said it during my trial. They, they yeah. even said that. Well, uh, well they explained. The crazy thing about your trial was the prosecutor explained it, yeah. and that explained the difference between anonymity and pseudo anonymity. And then he goes on to call it anonymous during like, a closing statement. Like during yeah. his closing statement, yeah. like okay. Yeah. David, anything else? No, that's all I had. Thanks, man. Appreciate for taking the call. Yeah, I appreciate the thoughts here tonight. Uh, There's no doubt Bitcoin as a uh, electronic cash is a it's dead in the water and it's never going to be that it it, at one time was, you know, there was a time when you could send a microtransaction with Bitcoin. If you wanted to send, you know, two cents worth of Bitcoin to someone it would cost you usually less than a cent to send that. I remember that. We did it on a weekly basis, if not more. <laughs> yeah. And the then, <laughs> then in 2017, that uh, that cost went through the roof, and it went all the way up to, you referenced, I think, $100, or he referenced $100. Yeah, something like that. Uh, that. That did happen on some cases. I think the average hit like $10, $15, $20, $30 at one point. And uh, and that's way too much. You yeah, can't have that. I don't think I ever paid a hundred dollars. But um, <laughs> yeah, me neither. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but you can't have that. I mean, I I did pay definitely five. Not. I definitely yeah. paid five to uh, to make a transaction at least more than once. 
Um, yeah. But you're not going to do that if you're going to buy a hamburger. You're not going to pay a $5 tax to the mining network just to be able to use crypto. So, I mean, we're, we already have, as we were discussing, Chris, enough trouble just getting libertarian activists who have crypto to spend that crypto. That is hard enough. And that's with the ones that don't have big fees, right? That's with the ones that cost a fraction of a penny to send to somebody like Dash or uh, or Bitcoin Cash. Just getting them to spend that is is hard enough. I, I think you're right, um, especially certain people within the community. Uh, I don't necessarily know that's the case across the community, but definitely certain people. It doesn't um, happen enough, man. I mean, there's cryptocurrency meetups where still it's like me, you, Bonnie, and maybe one other person. Uh, coming out, and I can't spend crypto. So I'm, like, I'm yeah, off the map. That's true. Uh, Aria's off the map. She can't spend crypto. That's true. That's so true. like, where's the? Even the guys in Manchester, there's a ton of crypto people there, but they don't even go when they go to their crypto meetup. They don't even go to a restaurant that takes crypto. So like, yeah, what's going on? I, I mean, and this, I, I think this is more. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how do I say this. Um, and they're losing uh, there's lo- locations as a result of that. Yeah, you know, I, I think this is kind of one of these you know situations uh, where you know we have a lot of how do I say this leaders, but we don't necessarily have a lot of leaders within the crypto space within mm-hmm. the liberty circles, and it's it's um, you know everybody's doing something different, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're all in one place, and you know, crypto gets exchanged fairly often, but person to person, yeah, that does yeah, happen. Yeah, I'm not um, going to take that away from that. That's true. Like within the libertarian movement here, there's a lot of it. You'll see it uh, maybe a little more often at like a market day. Everybody at market day, oh, yeah, for instance. For sure. And for listeners that don't know, that's where like once a month in most regions, there's a day on which people come together in like an open room and set up tables. And you know, if you uh, you've got a, a you make honey at home or you make uh, crafts or you growing pigs and slaughtering them you bring your market you bring your product to market and you can sell it and most of them will take almost everyone there will accept crypto and that happens so that, that does happen yeah I, I mean i would say i very rarely will resort to pulling out cash from my pocket at mm-hmm. least within the libertarian you know community here um that's that's much much more rare um yep, I'll, I will, I'll give you that I, I will pull out cash when it comes to like going to mcdonald's or something like that right that's but, what you have to do um right because i'm definitely not going to use a credit card <laughs> um and uh but but yeah certainly it's uh there's there's different and you know it's interesting um the more you look for it i think the more you, you'll see you know cryptocurrency uh you know places you can spend it and use it and stuff so um it's you do you do have to look yeah but it's a little bit. it's faltering though like uh, I've, i'm the one that takes care of the map okay no i know i i, I go i go on coinmap.org i can't use crypto but i can still talk about it right so yeah, I, I call i call the businesses up that are on the map you know roughly once every couple of years you know, i don't do it all the time but every now and then i'll go through and i'll say hey do you still you still taking bitcoin we got we got a couple problems right now and they're right? not not. Right, a lot and, of them and are. You're right, and, and but we got a couple some problems. Are. We got a couple problems right now, yeah. and some of them are pretty major problems. One is government, right? But sure. two is that scared people. Our systems, True. our systems are broken, <laughs> but we are working on fixing them. And I'm, 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 I'm trying. I'm trying here. I get it. And, I get it. But you know, the point is, the we're people. Get it fixed. I, I, I understand that. Yeah. But the, the fact is, the, the crypto community, while it may be good internally, is not very good at going external. Meaning, it's not good at. Going marketing. to the businesses. It's not good at yeah. marketing. No, now, terrible at marketing. If things are broken, you can't market them. I, I don't, I understand that. Right. But in some cases, they could still go to those businesses that are still accepting crypto. The ones that still have the business owner working at it, where they can just pull out their own personal wallet, and that there's ways to do this. for the Where there's a will, there's a way. Mm. And what I'm saying is there's not enough of a will. 
within the, the crypto community. That's my observation, having you know looked around and having called business owners and having them yeah. told me. I mean, having them tell me before the, the problems you're talking about, yep. the technical issues that have been plaguing a, a certain payment system that we love very much, mm. uh, that uh, before that happened in Manchester, where there are actual crypto people, there's a lot of them because Manchester's like the big city. That's where most people move to is in that area. Yep. So like they can't say there's no one here. <laughs> okay. So there's a lot of people there. There was a chocolate place on the main drag there. It's called Elm Street. Uh, in, it's not Main Street. It's called Elm Street for whatever reason in Manchester. That's the main road. That's where all the downtown businesses are. There was a chocolate place that uh, was taking crypto. I talked to the owner there a couple years ago. He told me they stopped taking it. He is personally a user of cryptocurrency. So he's not one of those business owners that just took it. Like there's some business yeah. owners that'll just take it because they know their customers want it and they, they want their they want to make their customers happy. They don't really care that much here or there about crypto, but they're open minded enough to, to just say yes to doing that. This guy's into crypto. He's like a trader. He he's he's got his own collection of crypto and he's into it. But what he told me was He's not taking it as business anymore because no one wants to spend it. Yeah, I mean, I I, I understand where you're coming from, um, and I, I I can certainly see why you'd be pessimistic. I, I I'm, gonna, I'm optimistic. I'm just saying that's the status quo, and it's it's not what it should be. I I know. I I would love to see more happening. Right? Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. Um, I don't know if that's the best example, only because. Somebody selling chocolate is not the kind of thing that most Murphy's people Murphy's Tap Room doesn't take it either now. I was giving you the easy one. That is that is a better example, I think. That's a of, terrible example because the libertarians well, are there. It's a, No, it's a better example of what you're trying to say, okay, okay. What, what you're trying to argue. Um, but, that's, but still, it's no excuse because you could still, once in a while, you could have a Bitcoin meetup that met at the chocolate place. You could. You could go there. Everybody could, people that didn't want to buy chocolate could get a bottle of water or whatever, and some people would buy some fancy chocolates, and the owner would just have a ball being able to cr- collect crypto once a quarter or something like that. <laughs> if you did it once a quarter, it would be something for that yeah. guy. And I mean, instead, he's got zero. I, I think it's definitely I – th- I think the way to phrase it is it's, it's much, much easier to uh, get and keep on board restaurants. Agreed. Agreed. Um, but – at the same time, women love chocolate, though. I know you're not into women or anything like that, but yeah. Uh, yeah, but a lot of people really like chocolate. I personally not a huge fan of it. Like I could live without it totally. I, I'd right? buy chocolate. I, I but, I'm just not yeah. in that area, and I also probably wouldn't be buying it enough to make it but worth I guarantee, keeping it. Well, and maybe maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. But I guarantee you, if that was in this area, we would go there. We would have our crypto meetups right. there. We'd you know we wouldn't go there every week. But we'd go there every now and then, and it hopefully would be enough to keep the staff trained, to keep the owner, you know, to where he's like, okay, yeah, this is people buy, right? Like, that's all that you need. You know, it, and, and another reason, you know, I, and I, I'm, I'm going to be a bit of an optimist here, but you haven't been around non-libertarians enough. Because if I was in Flemington, New Jersey, where I moved mm-hmm. from, right, I, I, there wasn't a single person I knew who used crypto. Oh, hell no. Uh, so, I mean, as pessimistic as... <laughs> this you're you're sounding real pessimistic. pessimistic here. You're sounding I'm, real I'm just, pessimistic. I'm just telling the telling it like it is. It's That's not, not pessimism. It's uh, not as it's not going as well as I would like it to. And I think I think you're saying that basically too. But well, of course not. I mean, obviously, what we want to see happen is it, the way this can go better is if more liberty minded people who who are into crypto move to New Hampshire. Yep, and do things with their cryptocurrency openly. 
Because it's great to go to market day and be able to buy anything you want for crypto. That's effing awesome. I mean, that's a great experience for somebody to have. But what does that do for the community beyond the libertarian community? What does that do for you know the real life acceptance of crypto? It does absolutely nothing for it. it you know, if we're gonna get pessimistic, I, I I think I I'll also say I wish there were more libertarians running their own businesses accepting cryptocurrencies. But so many people move and they have a job. Yeah, and well, most people aren't entrepreneurs. I, I, I know, and yeah. it's so disappointing. I think we do have a more entrepreneurial. Uh, there's more entrepreneurs here that are libertarian, but it's not as many as I would like yeah. it to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's there's a lot to complain about in the world, I think. Um, and you know, it you know I I, I like to lead by example. Me too. Um, you know, Me I have too. a business. I'm I would an entrepreneur. I, I accept <laughs> cryptocurrency. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I I try to you know encourage other people to right. accept it and use it and everything. That's um, all you can do. You know, yeah. and, and that's all you can do. And that's that's one of the things we've done here. I think very well in keen over the years is we have been the sort of the tech leaders of the liberty movement up here for instance you know keen adopted telegram in 2011 or 2012 or something like that <laughs> yeah. way before anybody was was doing everybody was on facebook and whatever other systems now yeah telegram is still a centralized system We're- it ain't perfect but it was a way better option uh, at the time and then finally like two years ago the free state project adopted telegram for the uh, the porcupine freedom festival what- for its chats which is really funny because it was after we all basically got on to the matrix, matrix. Yeah. And, and and you're right we're we're still leading the way i mean yeah. we got uh, mastodon yep. and we've got nextcloud now and the calendar system from NextCloud. right right yeah. i mean so yeah. we're, we're doing more decentralizing here and we're showing people the way we're you're saying look hey hey come on over the water's fine and come, we're not on, come the, on in we're not know? the only ones it's not just keen uh port not portsmouth uh the seacoast uh they got next cloud too the so, shell i think did right yeah i think yeah. the shell yeah, yeah they have next cloud for their calendaring stuff too so it's you know we're we're making progress here it's we do have a lot of leaders it's just you know everybody's working on a little bit of something else and look i i should be the first one to adopt some of this stuff and i and i was but at the same time, it's like it should have happened, you know, five or six years ago in a lot of cases, sure. you know, and it, it didn't and because we all have a limited amount of time, you know. Yeah, that's true. Um, and again, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like I'm pessimistic. I'm optimistic that I mean, I have to be. This is the most pessimistic um, thing I've come. I, I didn't even it's know. Not pessimism, you're, dude. You're the it's biggest the optimist. So for you to say anything that's even remotely pessimistic, you're, you're, you're misdefining this. It's not <laughs> pessimism. Pessimism is a, a fear based mentality. Uh, the idea that things are going to be going bad or are going bad or going wrong. And I'm just telling you what's happening. I'm just saying that in in a place where it shouldn't be like this, Manchester, New Hampshire, yeah, where there's yeah. a much higher number of cryptocurrency advocates and users, yep. like they claim in Manchester that they have the longest running cryptocurrency out, uh, meetup in like, I don't know if it's the world or the country, but it's a big claim and it's true. Yeah, they ha- they deserve that claim. It's a big one. They've had it more than a decade on a weekly basis, people having a crypto meetup. But you know what? They haven't converted the place where they're uh, where they're having that meetup yet. How could you? How can you do that? How can you not convert oh, the, the place, place? Okay, that you are having the, the meetup. Okay. The, the restaurant or wherever it is, the bar. That I, they I, have I thought that you were talking about Murphy Tap Room. That's not where they're holding it. That, is for it? whatever reason, they didn't have it there. I don't know. Somebody doesn't like Murphy. I don't know what the deal is with that. They have but a, they have a lot of events there though, so it might be why too. At Murphy's, that yeah. could, that could be yeah. it. But like, look, man, if you're gonna do a crypto meetup. Have it at the place that takes crypto. Now, because they weren't doing that, Murphy stopped taking crypto. 
because the, the free staters that were coming in there weren't spending it. So my and this comes back down to the problem that my, I was talking about earlier, where well, people will not spend their crypto. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I think I think you misunderstood what was going on there. Um, I because I'm, I'm partially default. Um, so when I've gone in a couple times and tried mm-hmm. to spend it, I wasn't able to. But that's because they were super busy and there was one waiter staff for like forty people. I don't necessarily, from what I've heard from other people, I don't think that's the case all the time. It's just... Everyone I've asked has busy. said they don't take it anymore. Every single person. And when I was in there with you mm-hmm. a few weeks ago, yep. we, we took a night off and we were doing some activism out in uh, in the Manchester area. I think this was in November. But uh, I asked specifically the waitress who was in there if, if she could take crypto payments. She said she didn't know if that was even a possibility anymore. And and other people I've spoken with okay. about the same thing. They said that the problem is that they don't even have the tablet. It's not charged. The, the staff doesn't know how to use it. By all effective purposes, mm-hmm. no one has spent cryptocurrency in that location for for months. Ooh, I mean, it has, if not if not more than a year, I don't know when the last time it was. We used to be able to go to the AnyPay map, and we used to be able to see yeah, for yeah, ourselves right. when that was and. We don't get to see that anymore, but uh, if we really wanted to, I bet we could figure well, out what their wallet address is and I then check to, the address. Yeah, you're probably right. I have to say, though, uh, the fact that people are saying they're not accepting it, it, it you know, it, if you keep getting turned down and they keep saying no, 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 no you're they'll gonna, stop asking. Yeah, they'll stop asking. Right. So, yeah. So that's the fault. I mean, that's their fault, right? Like, it's the fault of that, of that community for not doing what it took because, if, because they have meetups there every week. And if somebody was asked, if at least one person every week asked about crypto, they would get a yes. Hold on. Hold on, Ian. Um, I was able to spend cryptocurrency at Murphy's Taproom within the last six months, though. So Wow. Congratulations. yeah, so there was there was there was at least okay. one time where somebody actually did know how to use wow. a tablet and they dig the tablet out and I was able to spend well, it. Well, let's throw a party. That's great. But you're right. I think two other yeah. times I wasn't able to spend it in the last six months. Yeah. So it's bad. Uh, yeah, it's bad. It's a bad situation, and it was completely avoidable because if somebody had just gone in there and on a regular basis and spent it regularly, yeah, then maybe. the staff would have kept up on it and they would have kept the thing charged or whatever. Right. So yep. now it's dead. Uh, we're out of time for tonight. It, it just takes a little bit of consistent effort. That's oh, all. So I am optimistic, and I think those people uh, just need to get on the ball in those other places because we're we'll still doing back. good here, even though I'm out of the game. We'll get them back on board. Yeah, we'll see you tomorrow night online. In the meantime, freetalklive.com. So you've signed the Shire Society Declaration and are planning your move to New Hampshire to be around more liberty-oriented people. Next, sign up for the Shire Society Forum at forum.shiresociety.com. There are a bunch of people there who are already in the Shire, and they want to meet you. If you're already in the Shire physically, you should also come by the forums. Remember, not everyone uses Facebook. New people are signing up for the Shire Society Forum every month, so drop in and say hello at forum.shiresociety.com.